The drive-through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like hpdejunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of the drive-through, look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click About and then Advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide. Welcome to Drive Through, episode number 25. This is our monthly recap where we put together a well-prepared and well-organized menu of automotive, motorsport, and random car-adjacent news. Now, let's pull up to window number one for some automotive news. Why, why do you got to lie to our audience like that, Brad? We are well-prepared, well-organized, and a well-oiled machine. We are a Ferrari engine two seconds before implosion. Oh. Yes. It always runs best. Just before blowing up. <laughs> Maybe that's partially because it's been super quiet around our media center this month. You know, all the parties are over. The anniversaries and celebrations have come to a close. I'm still finding confetti and glitter in like the weirdest places around here. Thanks, Izzy. Th- thanks. Thanks for that. I don't know about you guys. I'm really starting to feel like we're finally sitting back. We're Netflixing and chilling a little bit. You know, we're watching everybody else, right? I'm not sure where we go next, right, Brad? Nah, that's GM's play. They always wait and react, but not ours. So let's get into it. Come on now. Chop, chop. We're going to showcase this month on General Motors. Thanks for bringing that up. And, you know, I want to start us off with a quote. I've been doing a lot of reading. And as you guys know from this month, I put out a recommended read. On a clear day, you can see General Motors, which was written by Patrick Wright and dictated by John DeLorean back in the 70s. I found on page 164 something super interesting, something that I've been preaching about with respect to GM for a while. You know how we've talked about, they always seem to be behind. They always seem to be kind of waiting for what everybody else is going to do. That was all conjecture. That was all speculation. But as I've been reading this book, and I'm going to read you this quote, I think it all comes full circle. So DeLorean says, General Motors is reluctant to pioneer in the auto industry rather banking on letting others pioneer new markets and following them up with bigger and more aggressive sales efforts. The logical result of this when I was there was that GM was usually late in the market with new products, slow to respond to quick turns in the marketplace because it didn't perceive them when they were happening. And they are the least effective in the automobile industry in their advertising programs. He wrote that in the 70s. I didn't know this to be fact until I just read it earlier this month as I've been reading this book. And my mind is blown. 40 plus years later, this is so true. And I think they're still following the same playbook. If anybody's ever seen anything from General Motors and just followed them casually, they've known all along that this is true. I mean, this guy just put it in black and white. Then he's got real world experience from being at GM. I mean, we all knew. It was never just put out there and written. Exactly. But it, it makes total sense. If you watch anything General Motors has ever done, fits in line. This philosophy makes total sense. Agreed. And it's still happening to this day. With the, I mean, what EV do they have really to compete with some of the ones that we're going to talk about later in the show? And even their hybrid attempts have been lackluster. I mean, there's just always kind of late to the game, late to the party, like we've been talking about, sitting back watching everybody else, except for the Corvette, which we're also- Have the Lyric. Yes. And the Joel Cola. 
I mean, how many of those do you see on the road or in driveways compared to Pri and Teslas? They got a Hummer. GM's got the Hummer. They were first to market with the Hummer. They're coming out with the Silverado. But the F-150 Lightning's already out. Is it? (laughs) Because chips. We'll get to that too. But there is something else that we missed. If maybe this happened before we started the drive-through, I was trying to find a date for this article. There was a proposed rendering for a new Buick sports car. Anybody want to guess what I'm talking about here? There's a reason why it was missed. You just said Buick GM sports car. (laughs) This car was never a sports car, though. It was a sports saloon. It was a touring car. It was a sports coupe. A GT car. Back in the day, back in the 80s, this car was faster than the Corvette. A Buick Grand National, a sports car. Yeah. Is that a sports car? I mean, you got to look at what else was being made at the time. I mean, come on. No, no, this is the 80s. This is like the 83, 84, 85, somewhere in there. Yep, exactly. So yeah, you still had the C4 Corvette. You still had the Fiero, you know, the Chevette. You had some Mustang, Camaro. A lot of hot trash is what you had. (laughs) 100%. So there was an artist a couple of years ago that put together a rendering of what it would look like if Buick brought back the Grand National as a modern car. I mean, I'm all for a Grand National as long as it's not a SUV, which is what General Motors does. It feels like a Cadillac from the front. It's a CTSV coupe. Very much is. Yeah. Supposedly the the artist took an 87 Grand National, started stretching it, moving it, doing things like that. It's a good piece of Photoshop, but at the same token, there's a lot of things that are just wrong with it. It looks like a Chevy Lumina from the side. (laughs) And I only bring this car up first because I actually saw a Grand National on the road the other day. It was behind us. And I turned to my wife and I said, look at that thing. This car is super badass coming up behind us. It was an old man. And he was flying up on us. And she's like, what is that? And I said, that is the hottest muscle car of the late 80s. A total sleeper, right? They only came in one color. They all look the same way. And it's just got that whistle and that snarl and everything that's cool about a Grand National that this new rendering, I don't feel it. The new rendering is hot garbage, but the original is hot sauce. 100%. The original Grand National should be right up your alley. It only comes in black. It's sinister as fuck looking. It's turbo. That screams, Eric. That is a recipe for success. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But speaking of hot trash, anybody see that the new mandatory option on GM vehicles? Hold on, wait a minute. Option, mandatory... Is that like being voluntold? Uh, Basically, so you have the option for the OnStar subscription package that you have to pay $1,500 for, whether you continue the subscription or not. So is that built into the price or is that $1,500 every year? That's a great question because it almost sounded like you can't cancel the thing. (laughs) It's like Sirius XM. You can never get rid of it. They're always trying to rope you back in. So it looks like they can decline the service, but they still have to pay for it. They start out with three years. So they paid for it for three years and they can't cancel it at any point and get their money back. So this means OnStar is $500 a year. It's only $42 a month. Okay. That is absurd. What do they do again? So they're the ones that do the emergency roadside assistance. You hit the little blue button. Oh yeah, that's still a thing? I have AAA, so I don't know. Okay. Does anybody else do this? There were a couple other people that had OnStar at one point. Now, I will say the funniest OnStar moment, and this is a nod to one of our previous episodes this month, is the Andy Pilgrim testing the ZR1 at NCM, and the OnStar keeps calling him while he's on track. That is an absolute 
riot of a video to watch. And he's so polite to them too. He's like, no, I'm on a racetrack. We're fine. But sir, it says you've had a high speed collision. No, I'm fine. I'm on a racetrack. It's so good. I will probably never buy. I definitely won't ever buy a brand new GM product, but I don't know that I'll ever buy a GM product again. I have another reason for you to not buy a new GM product. This left me just sour on all things right now. So everybody's really excited about the Z06 coming out. The bunch of spy photos up until recently, right around Pebble Beach time, they released the new Z06 information. You could go to Chevy.com right now and go look it up. They're talking about pre-releases available summer of 22. Yeah, okay. Summer's almost over, folks. We're heading into September now. We've only got a couple weeks left before it's the fall. On the Chevrolet website, it says that the Z06 is starting at $105,000. So let's just talk about the Z06 for a moment before I go into what upset me so much about this new vehicle. How much does a normal Corvette cost? $105,000 seems absurd. So a normal Corvette, as we found out, somewhat optioned up a little bit with the performance package and the Z51 package and you know all that stuff. With the taxes and everything out the door, it's close to 90 Wow. Okay. Then sure. What's another 15 grand? Upgrade that. Right. But that's the starting price for the Z06. Now you have to add the options on top of it. So it's more likely 120, 125. If not more. And here's where I say this, and I have the proof. Posted on Garage Riot earlier this week, there was a letter from a dealership where somebody was putting in one of those deposits to get their new Z06. And I just want to read this to you guys. 2023 Corvette non-refundable deposit policy. In order to place a 2023 Corvette Z06 sold delivery order, XYZ dealership requires a $6,000 non-refundable deposit from the customer once your order is accepted by Chevrolet. In the event that the customer does not take delivery, this fee will be utilized for restocking, marketing, and merchandising of said Corvette to the general public. Furthermore, upon delivery of the 2023 Corvette to said customer, the $6,000 deposit will be applied as a down payment. Okay, cool. There's a footnote. The vehicle will be sold, and this is in bold highlighted print, for $90,000 over MSRP. So if Chevrolet's base number is 105 at this particular dealership, and I'm not naming names because I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, we're looking at a $200,000 Corvette with destination fees, tags, taxes, and everything else out the door. Suddenly that bargain basement exotic car killer is no longer an, a bargain basement car. It's just an exotic. You're basically buying a, a Chevrolet exotic, which in that price range, I would have any number of other cars than a Z06. And don't forget, you have to add 1500 bucks of OnStar on top of this. 90000 on top of the it's 105. True. Right? true, it's true, it's true. So we're inching closer to 200K every moment. Is the Z06 worth $200,000? That's the question. And I think you're on the right track there, Brad. But the problem is when you compare it to the latest Ferrari or the latest Lamborghini, those cars are all half a million bucks. So what are you comparing it to? Like we've always compared it to Porsche. The Huracans are still in the twos and threes, I believe, as long as you're not getting a special edition Performante or anything like that or whatever special editions they have. What I'm saying is when the Z06 is 130 grand, 
And when you, and you start comparing it to those other cars, yeah, it's a deal. It's a bargain. You're getting a, a hell of a performance vehicle. But when it costs the same as those other vehicles, you have to look at it in a different lens. We'll talk more about Lamborghini here in a little bit, but the latest, greatest, last of the petrol Lamborghinis is clocking in at almost $600,000. So to your point about the special models being super costly. Is that the new Countach or is that the um, LMP4's Masterpiece Theater 3000? The Aventador Ultime or whatever, but we'll talk about that more. Yeah, and those are just collector cars to be collector cars. You know what you could buy instead that is apparently criminally undervalued as a collector car? Oh. An 84 to 96 Chevy Corvette for 9900 bucks. God. Or no. you could buy the new C8 for 200000 The problem with the C4... <laughs> Is it a C4? Exactly. <laughs> it's great and awful at the same time. I mean, I've had the luxury of riding in a bunch of different ones on track from the base models to the ZR1s and everything in between. I don't know. It's a C4. And I know it's the jumping off point for the C5. C5 is just kind of a bigger, heavier C4. And then the C6 is built on top of that. So it's got three evolutions in it, but it's just, I don't know. I can't see myself behind the wheel of a C4. The only time I will ever buy a C4 is if the only other option is a C3. (laughs) Other things on this list, the Corvair Club Coupe, which put all the stuff from Nader aside, rear engine, rear mount, all that kind of stuff. I think the Corvairs are cool, but it's a certain type of collector that gets into the Corvair market and really enjoys those cars because they were built for a while, but they're in such low numbers. So that's a tough one. There's other weird stuff on this list. I think the one that stuck out at me the most is the one that probably Tanya appreciates and would enjoy the most. I could finally buy my Mercedes. That's right. (laughs) The 380 SL. I think those are great cars. They're understated. If you can get rid of those US spec bumpers. Oh man. You can have your lunch on those park benches. This is Rick's Mercedes from Magnum. These were around forever. They have different engine packages. You don't have to get a 380. They had a 280. They had a 560. There's a bunch of different versions of this. I think they're a pretty handsome car. 227 horsepower. That's a lot. That car probably doesn't weigh that much. I don't suspect it does, but for 20 grand, I think it's a pretty good deal. All things considered. Even under 15, apparently you can find them. In the right color, right? Well, that'll help. Didn't the Wicked Witch or whatever her name was? Not the Wicked Witch, but the Evil Queen from Once Upon a Time. Yeah, she drove one too. Mm -hmm. Burgundy, I remember. Of the cars on this list, I would drive the Lexus. (laughs) That does scream Brad. It is very 90s though. It's such a round, kind of a porpoise looking car. Why get this Lexus SC300-400 with the front end of a fourth-gen Supra when you could go get a real collector Toyota and get the Supra? Because when you buy the Supra, you're paying 50, 60 grand for a Supra. The SC, you're paying five, six grand. Price at $40,000? What? Oh, that's in 1995. Okay. Yes, brand new. I don't think the Supras are forty grand anymore. I think they're a hundred and forty grand now. Yeah, yeah. like everything yeah, they, else. They were four. They were forty, fifty grand for like a ragged out piece of shit one ten years ago. I see the upside to it. Some of the SC three hundreds, I believe, they either came with a manual or you could do a manual swap on them. They came with a manual. It's, yeah. it's sustain. Basically, it's the standard non-turbo super drivetrain. Yeah, and it's the same two JZ. So throw a turbo on that thing, and then suddenly mm. you're making twelve hundred horse power in it basically a two-door sedan i would do the v8 though just because i like big motors and i cannot lie oh 
<laughs> what I don't agree with was at the bottom, any mid seventies, full size American sedan. All right, listeners, there's some episodes coming about collector cars, especially about the Malays era. And I mean, most of these are junk. There are some gems out there. I mean, please disagree with us. Convince me that there is something of value between 1974 when the catalytic converters and the big bumpers were introduced to, you know, 1982. That list is going to be pretty short. And then they show this picture of this giant Pontiac Bonneville. And I'm like, that's cool. My dad's boss used to have one of these. It never ran and it pretty much stayed in the office parking lot. And it was the size of like a barge. It was just humongous. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, by all means, but it wouldn't be my first choice for a collector. Since we're talking about GMs, we have been ragging on Dodge Darts for over a year now. And, you know, we talk all the time with our guests, you know, what's the ugliest car of all time? And we get the PT Cruisers and we get all sorts of fun stuff in there. And, you know, there's a car, it dawned on me because I saw one on the road the other day for the first time in a while that we haven't talked about in uh, quite a long time. So I was wondering, have you been keeping up with the uh, HHR market? No, I have not. But I did a little bit of research today. And I will say, first of all, I had no idea that there's a Chevy HHR.net message board enthusiast page. Of course there is. They have a classified section. Of course they do. And in this classified section, they have cars for sale. Oh. In these cars for sale, I found user C. Jones with a Z 1993 selling his 2009 HHR SS with 94,000 miles for 10 grand. That is a criminally undervalued collector car. Wait, what? 94,000 miles? Yes. 10 grand. 94,000 miles, $10,000 or best offer. He's open to negotiation. He knows what he has, people. Don't lowball me, bro. <laughs> I give you nothing. I don't want it. Exactly. And this is as recent as August 18th. That's a good deal. Well, it's actually not a bad car. It's all black, blacked out wheels, blacked out paint, black interior, got the typical, it's a 2009, so the interior is a little ragged and stuff, but it's got some performance mods and stuff like that. Anybody looking for a performance car, some of our members will tell you that the HHR and Cobalt SS are where it's at for front wheel drive performance. I've got one better for you. What's that? Down in Texas, in Conroe, Texas, know that area well, you could snag a 2010 HHRLS with 31,235 miles for only 8999. Yeah, but the LS is not the SS. Mm. The LS don't have the turbo or the supercharged, whatever. It doesn't matter. Nobody's buying these things. Anyway. It's all poop. The only people that are buying this HHRSS are people looking for an HHRSS. I don't know what's wrong with people who buy these cars. Tanya's going to save her pennies because I found something better. Oh my God, this is trash. Hot trash. Hot. This, hot I can trash. see her driving around in, you know, taking oh, you her can't. the streets no, you of can't. DC. No, you, you know, can't. Just yeah. enjoying this so much. I want to get carjacked. That's why. Do you think somebody would carjack you in this thing? <laughs> what is this turd? What? Now, I love more of the what notes where it's this? like top pick for Tanya. I'm like, what is this? Click it. And, and I literally was like, what the beep is this? And I, and I thought it was a joke. But lo and behold, it is apparently not a joke that this was like some limited edition, legit production run, one of a kind Star yes. Wars livery number yes. 24 NASCAR painted in Jeff Gordon's shop. Yes. 
all of these things. 99 Chevy Monte Carlo in blue with like sparkles on it, which I guess are the stars in the universe of Star Wars. I mean, it's got Ewan McGregor on the hood with his buddy Liam Neeson there. You know? Which, when was this done? Because <laughs> when was that movie with Ewan McGregor? Five years later. It was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> right? Like, did the timelines line up it doesn't matter did you see how much this thing is going for no now i'm bothered by it no no no. it's not going for that price it's just listed at that price this is one of those jalopnik good deal or crack pipe or whatever their series is that they know they changed the name of it yeah they had to be politically correct oh crap episode one came out in 1999 it is atrocious it is legit livery for the year oh my gosh how time flies let me ask you this. Would you pay $24,000 for this car? No. I wouldn't pay $24 for this car. I wouldn't pay 24 cents. Let's not be hasty. <laughs> Maybe. I would pay 24 cents. I would pay 24 cents. I would drop a quarter if they gave me the keys. I would drop a quarter too. I'd, give, I'd let them keep the change on that. I'd drop them a quarter. If it was a matchbox car. And then I'd turn around and I'd sell it for scrap metal. No, 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 no. This becomes a lemons car. <laughs> already got delivery i mean outside of the paint job it's just a 99 monte carlo which people can correct me if i'm wrong wasn't really much to write home about so (laughs) you are being way too kind (laughs) holy (laughs) shit this is probably one of the worst cars in history wait it started out as a already well optioned z34 3.8 liter v6 with a four-speed automatic come now well, 3.8 liter v6 with 200 horsepower <laughs> well switching gears let's talk about gm and motorsports a little bit there's been a push recently through what is it project 91 and Trackhouse motorsports to get famous drivers from different disciplines to come run in america's premier racing series known to us as nascar yeah they already have he already did it was this past weekend that's right our latest victim was kimmy raikkonen and how did he do yeah how did he do not well he got crashed out in the bus stop i heard i read his report he's the ice man as he always will be he didn't say a whole lot it sounded like he crashed with his own teammate and excuses about how everybody went left and he didn't and i, I don't know it was just like okay there was all this seesawing about where he was in terms of the pack one minute he was eighth and then he was 28th and then he was 18th and i didn't really understand what was going on so what i think happened is he was taking the airline into the bus stop staying far right everybody else was taking the nascar line staying far left and then when he started turning or not turning basically because you're far right you just kind of jerk the wheel a little bit everybody else kind of turned in on him and pushed him into the bus stop more than likely i hope to see kimmy out there running some more events maybe he's only going to do the road courses yeah he was doing testing at vir why i don't know because the vir and watkins quinn are not close to being the same track curious to see if he continues i'd like to see him do some more i'd like to see some other people i mean we saw this with juan pablo montoya and a lot of other folks that transitioned over from other motorsports i I don't want it to come off like well i'm retired from the big stage so let me go run nascar it's a difficult thing that they do those cars are very 
I don't want to use the word primitive and have it come off sounding negative or derogatory because it's not. Those cars are a handful. And we're going to learn about that more in an episode later on in the season where we talk to some folks about late models and what they're like to drive and how they're set up. It takes some bravery. It takes some strength to drive. It's a lot different than the super computerized jet fighters of like a Formula One car. So there is an adjustment there, but I like to see people move around. Some folks retire and choose other disciplines and it doesn't work out. Kimmy's still got a lot of life ahead of him as a driver. So who knows, maybe he'll end up in the uh, SRO or IMSA paddock one day. You know, we'll get to see him out in a touring car or GT car. And just out of curiosity, what is the connection to General Motors? He drives a Camaro. Okay. That isn't a Camaro, but it's got a Chevy engine. Does it have a Chevy engine or a Gibson engine? Well, that's still a Chevy at the end of the day, right? Maybe. Sort of. In spirit? Yes, kind of, sort of. So we're going to wrap up our little segment here on GM. It's always, you know, just a challenge to talk about them. Like we said, you know, the news is slow coming out of General Motors. We're not really sure what they're up to or what's coming next, but we're going to keep our eyes peeled. If something comes across your desk or your ears and you want to share it with us about General Motors, you know, be sure to reach out to us and let us know because we're always interested to see what they're up to. That said, I want to remind our listeners to not forget about our friends at the International Motor Racing Research Center up in Watkins Glen, since we were just talking about the Glen. They are still in the process of raffling, or is it waffling? What what do we call it now on the internet? Raffling. I heard it was waffling now on Facebook or something like that. No, that's what General Motors does before they make a decision. Uh. (laughs) Well, (laughs) at any rate, they have a sweepstakes for a 2022 Corvette C8 IMSA R edition, or you can take a cash option as always. Brad and I have seen this car in person. It is quite the stunner. It's a gunmetal gray with these electric yellow accents. It's a really cool looking car. All the proceeds benefit the library and the museum. So we'll have all those details in our show notes. So if you want to try your luck and try to win the Corvette, you know, have at it. And again, it goes to a good cause and it's a great group that we've been fortunate to work with over the last couple of years. And before we move away from General Motors, I just want to say that if you want to know what's going on with General Motors next year and into the future, just look back at five years of what everybody else is doing and you'll know what General Motors is up to. Touche, Brad. Touche. It's time that we move on to Volkswagen, Audi, and Porsche news. And first up in that category is Lamborghini. <laughs> because for those of you that have forgotten, Lamborghinis are actually 100-year-old Audi R8 chassis underneath. It comes as no surprise when Lamborghini made the announcement that the Aventador LP784 Ultime is going to be the last of its kind. I exaggerate on the 100-year-old chassis, but let's be real, the Aventador is built on a 2011 R8, so that is now 12 years old going into next year as they're selling these 22s and the remainder of 23s. The reason the Ultima is the last of its kind, it's the last petrol-powered V12 Lamborghini that's going to be sold. There's all this waxing poetic when you read the articles about this particular car. And one thing that stuck out at me in particular, I highlighted from the article, and I thought it was actually just complete rubbish. And the author goes, but how it looks, it's valet fight club at any casino. Merely seeing it instantly propels 12-year-olds through three years of adolescence. Pimples pop, pupils dilate, tendons tauten, and breathing gets so shallow that people fall into respiratory acidosis. 
It's not beautiful. It's startling. Catch a glimpse of it when unprepared and your cerebrospinal fluid will boil off. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Talk about just a bunch of adjective soup. It's the same freaking Adventador they've been making for 12 years. You look at it. I don't see any difference from the one they started with to the one they made last year. I mean, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. The price goes up. The special little buttons and knobs and colors change. And it makes more horsepower than the last one. Whoopie doo. It's, it's cool, I guess. It's an Aventador, which personally my favorite was the Murcielago, which was the predecessor to the Aventador. Whatever. I think that guy was on something when he wrote that nonsense. <laughs> he had a he had a word quota he had to hit in the article. Yeah, he was trying to to beat the most adjectives that he could fit into an article about a car. Do you win, guy? Thumbs up to you. Yeah, they're only making three hundred and fifty of these, and. Who cares at the end of the day? It is for rich people. Yeah, it's a rich people thing. Rich people doing rich people things. You know the type of clientele that's going to buy this car, and it's not us average Joes, that's for sure. I'll buy the Lamborghini Aventador when it comes out of Walmart for $0.94. Cents. Mm-hmm. Donut Media and, and Hoonigan and all those guys, they want to get you up to speed. So they put out a video recently, everything you need to know about the Hoonigan 911. I thought I was going to hate it, and then I don't hate it, but I also haven't like watched the 48-minute video about it. <laughs> it's a bit long for a Hoonigan video. They've been doing that recently, but I also feel like this goes in line with what we talked about with the Audi stuff. Does Ken Block need to tell us why 911s are good? Is that what they're doing for 48 minutes? Because I, mean, I definitely won't listen to it. If you're in the 911 camp, you know why they're awesome. They've been awesome for a long time. If you're a 911 hater, well, nothing's changed. <laughs> I mean, you got to consider their audience. They're catering to a bunch of people that probably don't know Diddly Squad about an early 911 because that's what this is. This isn't a new new you know 911 right. of the last decade. Yep. Just like the Audi and him going out in a URQ and all that. People don't know what that is if they're catering to the current demographics of a certain age, right? They got the, 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 the engines in the back yes the engines in the back it always has been it's cooled by air what are you talking that's magic cooled by air goodness so gracious. so they got to make the videos that of course, you know of do course. that they need to make the cliff notes video for everybody else i would have gladly accepted it over 48 minutes but i feel like it's falling in line right we're doing the audi stuff now we got to do the porsche stuff i just can't wait for ken block to do his next volkswagen video he'll probably be reviewing the mark 9 gti sure <laughs> Can't wait for that Hoonigan front-wheel drive GTI to come out. That'd be great. Yeah, not going to happen. We have Tanner Faust if we want those types of videos. Meanwhile, Porsche has revealed its first details about its buy-in of the Red Bull Formula One team. Since you two are there, our resident Formula One experts, how do you feel about this? Hmm. Sorry, go ahead, Brad. Great. Yeah, good job. Go team. The yawn explains everything. My biggest question is, like we've been saying for a while, is it going to be a Porsche? There was all that back and forth about Volkswagen supplying the MGUs, the new power plants and and this and that. Now we're not hearing that, but it's going to be an Audi. Okay, well, we've seen how that plays out. It's a Volkswagen product that they put a different badge on and we'll go that way and make everybody believe that that's the truth. The question is, is the first Porsche F1 car in 2026 really going to be a Porsche Isn't it all badge engineering at this point? It's all just advertising. 
Porsche is paying to put their name on somebody else's Formula One car. Sort of like the LMDH cars too, right? Where the chassis are being built by Delara and they're being built by Oreca and whoever, and then people are slapping their badges on them and maybe supplying the power plant. So maybe that's the way of the future. Although yeah. for Porsche, it just seems out of character for them not to build a car from the ground up. Yeah, I don't like that. I'd rather see them be car, motor, chassis, everything them than like, okay... I bought into 50% Red Bull, slapped some Porsche stickers on the side, run a Honda motor. Exactly. They're doing the same thing that Aston Martin did, I think, with the now Aston Martin team, formerly Force India. It's all cost cutting. The, the bean counters and accountants have gotten in the ear of the executives and saying, yes, this is great. This will be wonderful for us, except we don't want to spend any money to do it. So make it happen. Other Porsche news. So there was an article about Porsche building a real life Sally Carrera from the movie Cars, the animated film. It's cute. It is cute. It's blue and it's got some other like interior features that kind of harken to cartoon or whatever. But it's a a, a newer 911, obviously. (laughs) Wah, wah. Sally's a 996. That's all I'm saying. Sally's a Carrera. It's in her name. But she's a nine. They're all the same. They're all 911s. <laughs> yeah, but a 996 is a 911. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you are correct. But okay. Yes. I also heard that this car sold at auction. So it's only one being built was built for, I think, like charity or whatever. Okay. So it was sold as like a charity event. Would you like to venture a guess as to how much it sold for at Sotheby's? A lot. Brad, what do you think? I know the answer, so I'm not going to guess. I know the answer too. I'm going to guess anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not keep our audience guessing. $3.6 million. Wow. Wow. Did they say which charity it benefited or it just went to charity air quotes? It went to <laughs> Girls Inc. and the United Nations Refugee Agency. That's awesome. That's good. That's really good. Which of the directors is going to be driving it? <laughs> I don't know. My bigger question is, if you dive into several articles that have been posted about this car, I'm very curious. What does the kachow button do on the steering column? I believe nothing. It's odd to do that because that wasn't her signature thing. Right. But it is a reference to the movie. So it was just they were trying to do something fun. I will say that I did appreciate the tattoo that they put on the tail when it comes up just like she had that she was hiding in the movie. I thought that was cute. That was a great little nod to the film. If you're wondering why it randomly came out this long from when the movie aired, is this is actually the 20th anniversary of this car because it was actually created earlier than the movie came out. Like in 2002 was the first time this was penned on paper and she was actually created. So this is her 20th anniversary. Suddenly I feel super old. She's an adult now. (laughs) Little Sally's all grown up. Well, I guess it's time that we talk a little bit more about the rest of Lower Saxony. Do we have any news about BMW or Mercedes? Nothing good. What? We've got a teaser for the lost and found section. Oh. Apparently BMWs and Mercedes models are trending higher in the used car market for collectors. Thanks to millennials and young kids buying them up. So there's the BMW M3, the Mercedes-Benz 500e, the BMW M5 from the 88, the Mercedes-Benz 560 SEC, and then the BMW 
2800 CS. Younger people are buying these cars up. I guess these are the makes and models that they grew up watching as they were young whippersnappers and they couldn't afford them at the time. Oh, wait a second. What I, I say? Hold the phone. So the BMW 2800 is $121,000 yep. and it was $15,000 in 2012. Suddenly these people can afford it now? Who are these people? Trust fund children, apparently. Instagram famous and YouTube famous, and they've got more money than they know what to do with. Apparently. I don't see those people buying these BMWs. I think this article is not geared towards them. I hate to say it this way, but I see the boomers buying these cars still. I have no interest in any of these. I have actually lost interest in the E30 M3 because of all the nonsense that we've seen them bring a trailer. It's an E30. It's an E30 with a smaller engine to boot. It's not even... I would rather have a base model six-cylinder E30 and go put flares on it and run the hell out of it and have at least a motor that makes some torque rather than that four banger. And I know it's sacrilege to change an early M3 and all this kind of stuff, but you can build an M3 for cheaper than what the M3 is worth. But I'm not attracted to any of these cars. And this actually contradicts that other list that we were just looking at. That Mercedes 380 SL, the 560 SL, either the Cooper, the convertible didn't make this list. And people are saying, hey, that's an undervalued collector car that you should be targeting. So Haggerty's putting out these numbers, but I I think their definition of the millennials, maybe they got their dates wrong or something, but we straddle the line, right? They call us Xenials sometimes because we're sort of Gen Xers, but sort of millennials, but we're not. We're in this sort of lost generation. I don't know about you guys. Is there any attraction to these five cars that they listed? No. The 500E for me, yes, but the rest of them, not really. No. That 500E is so just blase though, right? It's such a carryover from the 80s. Yeah. If someone said, pick a car off this list, so notwithstanding anything else, I would pick the E30. Uh, yes. The M3. Excuse me. I would pick yes. the M3. Yes, of course. AKA E30 out of this list. Done. Where's the 190E 2.3 16 valve? That's what I'm looking for. I would right? take that over all of these. 100%. I'd rather have the Benz than the M3 at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. I would take the 190E. Yeah, I would take that. Like, there's a lot of other cars I would pick before I pick these that are either in the same range or newer the two mercedes they listed here they're like the saloon old people mercedes and, and they're just <laughs> boring they're just, ugh. if i was to buy a mercedes right now it would be one of my all-time favorites which is like the late 90s early 2000s cl you know the big giant yeah coupe those cars with the v12 the cl 600 those cars were amazing to me yeah, you don't see too many of them. You never see them on the road anymore, but those cars were amazing to me. And to go along with that, as much as I appreciate the E28 M5, it's so just, compared to the, the E39, again, I would pick the later M5 over this. I would have more fun with it. You know, we always joke all the time that the E39 is like the chassis that was hand-built by God. But even there, what about the 7 Series BMW that the Transporter had? Again, another sort of underappreciated big saloon. I'd pick it over any of these. I'm not going to spend a hundred grand on a, on an M5. That's insane. I'll go buy a new M5 for a hundred grand. I don't believe the numbers here, but it is what it is. Still, Haggerty's making money somewhere. They're keeping track of the market, basically. You can use Haggerty and bring a trailer as your reference point. We do that a lot on the What Should I Buy episodes, where they sort of give us the high watermark in terms of where the market is and how cars have sold and what their quote-unquote index is for the, the collector vehicles. Yeah, the market is just absurd. 
Speaking of absurd, what is this about a subscription model for heated seats? What the hell is BMW <laughs> thinking? What is wrong with those people? Well, they're thinking what GM is thinking. It's a mandatory option, right? It's not just BMW or GM. Toyota is also on this wagon, charging you $8 a month for remote start, which used to be free. What? Uh-huh. So no wonder the prices of the older cars are going up. In the long run, it's cheaper to pay a million dollars for one of those cars than to be nickel and dimed with monthly fees to have remote start. And I want my window to go down. I'm going to pay $5 a month. This is a Spirit Airlines model. <laughs> They're following the microtransactions from the video game industry. Yep. yep. And your cell phones, all your Google Play and Apple Play and all that stuff. Now, if I can pay $5 to unlock a new livery, now you got my attention, but that's not going to happen. <laughs> Wasn't BMW talking about the paint that you could change from within the car because they were using the digital skin and it could be black or it could be white and all I mean, that? that was concept stuff at like a CES show or something, but yes, yeah, I think it was BMW. Some paint technology. But that's something you could pay for to say, hey, I want to change the color of my car and it costs 20 bucks and boom, it's done. Yeah, no, it doesn't cost 20 bucks because here's the thing they want to do. What BMW is doing or allegedly going to do is basically, oh, $18 a month for heated seats. Well, what does that mean? That means your car comes with heated seats. So you've base model bought all the features that you possibly could. So now what? Are you paying a higher base price? And then on top of that, get to be like, oh, this month uh, I want to pay for heated seats. Because then that's some crap. Because now my $50,000 BMW costs $80,000. And then I got to go put subscription fees on top of that. How does this work? Because yes, then Brad, to your point, for $80,000, I can go get that old M3. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't have to pay $15 a month, $18 a month for heated seats. It doesn't have it at all. (laughs) So I see it both ways. From a manufacturing perspective, I agree with the notion that all the cars should come with all the options because then there's less variability on the production line. All cars come with heated seats. Done. Full stop. To Brad's point, they're trying to monetize this. They're trying to gamify this. It's all the in-app transactions and all that kind of stuff. But I do see it the other way from the consumer perspective. I only want heated seats three months out of the year when it's cold in the place where I live that happens to be cold. Or I live in Arizona where it never gets cold. My car has heated seats, but I don't need them. So why pay extra for them? To your point, Tanya, that cost is already baked in. They're going to push that onto the consumer anyway. They're saving money on one end. They're sort of robbing Peter to pay Paul at the same time. What happens with the warranty policy at that point? Did it break while you were paying for the subscription or not? If it was broken and you weren't paying for it and you activated it and it suddenly didn't work, now do we have all these microtransaction warranties as well? Like, How does this work from an operations maintenance perspective? What happens when the computer controlling the thing, your subscription breaks and you pay for it and it doesn't turn on? How much does that cost to fix and who's responsible for it? Yeah, that's the other problem. The planned obsolescence in the technology. I see that with my Jeep all the time. My Jeep had you know the cellular you saw the articles years ago. Oh, you can hack it. Well, guess what? It's secure now through obscurity because 3G is dead. So there's no way to get into it, but there lies the problem. So are all these BMWs, they're coming with 4G? Are they coming with 5G? Say tomorrow, Verizon, T-Mobile and everybody else, the consortium gets together and says, 6G is here. And all those other protocols are dead. Granted, that's the wave of the magic wand to make that happen. And, And that's fantasy and not reality. But let's just say, phased out over the life of that car because people are keeping cars longer over 10 years 
it is plausible to say that the technology necessary to maintain that subscription to your point will be phased out. So now you're left with a basically base model car that can't do anything other than just drive around. And how do you turn around and sell that to somebody? What's the, the aftermarket car value on that? Oh, I got this car with all these features that don't work. What if you're late on making payments? Hey, I'm going to sell you my BMW, but I haven't made my heated seat payment for the last six months. So the heated seats don't work unless you, you bring that back up to current. That's the fear with the Teslas too, where all those models and those payouts and being able to push the updates over the air and all that. I mean, it's a scary reality when now the car companies can basically brick you at any point and leave you sitting there unable to go to work and make the money to pay that subscription fee. We've gotten to the point now where there's just too many subscription fees. Everybody's got one. It's all either to your point, the Apple model, the Netflix model, or, or the Spirit Airlines model. This is obscene. Like this shouldn't be happening in the car world. You either buy the option or you don't, or all cars comes with the options or they don't. I don't like it, but yeah, I'm tired of BMW and Mercedes. What's next? I know, right? Well, what's next is our friends over at Stellantis. Oh, this is Eric's investment strategy. Oh. Buy diesel cars. And then when they get in trouble with the US government, you make a ton of money off of them. It's worked <laughs> out well for you, hasn't it? You know, lightning strikes over and over again, apparently. I love diesel. I'm gonna, I'm just going to flat out say it. There is nothing like the power and the ability and just everything that diesel gives you, right? Everybody says, oh, diesels are so dirty, this and this. The motor is not the dirty part. It's the fuel that we're running through it. No, it's the motor. It's the motor that's doing incomplete combustion. That's the dirty part because you get incomplete combustion, you get soot that comes out of the tailpipe, the black stuff, the smoke screen that I love. But nonetheless, that's the dirty part. Says one diesel owner to the other. Yes. I still think you can run cleaner fuels through a diesel motor without making major modifications to the diesel. So some of it is the fuel. Diesel itself is pretty nasty stuff. They've already gone to ultra low sulfur diesel, this, that, and the other, and they're constantly trying to push the the limits down on what are the pollutants in the fuel. There's only so much they can do without making the cost even more. That's true. But diesel engines can also run on propane and hydrogen and other types of fuels. There's alternative fuels that can be run through a diesel motor with minimal modification. Like vegetable oil. Like that sounds crazy. You're not just going to be like, I'm going to roll up and put hydrogen in my diesel motor when there's no way to safely inject the hydrogen. I want to know when Eric does the vegetable oil conversion, the bio oil or the biodiesel there you go. Jeep and he drives up to the Chinese restaurant and gets his free oil. 100%. To dump in there. 100%. I would do it if I had a place no, to, like to get McDonald's it. McDonald's french fries going down the road. Yeah. It smells good. Makes me hungry. The reason I bring it up is because Cummins is coming to the table saying that they're going to build agnostic engines. They're using base diesel blocks and crankcases and everything else. And they're changing the cylinder heads and making them so you can swap between fuels. Some of them just to go from diesel to propane as an example, it's an add-on to go from diesel to hydrogen. It's a different head to your point, Tanya, how do you inject it? The piston bottom end is always going to be the same. It's an internal combustion engine. How do you take propane? And propane accessories. And then put it into another tank. Like it's not a liquid like that. It's not like diesel and gasoline just sloshing around. It's you pressurized. Have have multiple tanks. Yes. That's a complete redesign of a car. You just can't be like, oh, I have my golf diesel and suddenly converted it to propane with a snap of my finger. I just roll up to the propane tank. True. And oh, I changed my cylinder head and it works. It very well might be possible, but it's a whole new car. 
It's a whole new design. You don't have to transfer the gas from one tank to the other. You go to Home Depot, you get yourself a bunch of blue rhinos, and you hook it up. And when one is empty, you take it out, you take it back, you exchange it for another tank, and then you get more fuel. It's it's simple. It's just like that. Problem solved. Well done, Brad. It's cheaper than buying gasoline. And while you're there, you can get your mulch, and you can get your Tesla replacement parts. We have solved all the problems. Thank you. He just described what Fiat was doing 25 years ago with their little propane powered vehicle. So it does 100% make sense. So let's go, let's bring this back to the original yes. You yes. Know, topic. Eric owns a diesel Jeep and Jeep and Rams and Stellantis, Fiat, whoever, whatever they are this week are in trouble with the U.S. government for cheating diesel emissions because, haha, the only way to get diesels to pass emissions is to cheat. And I'm not going to see a dime of it. I think it's all, again, a cover up for the ECU manufacturer because it has been the lowest common denominator across all of these manufacturers that have been caught, quote unquote. It's Bosch, isn't it? Yeah. Hey, I'm not saying it out loud you did <laughs> i mean i told you a long time ago bosch is bosch did it all hey guys we've got this program it works wonderfully you guys should use it and like, okay let's do it i mean i'm not gonna deny that there's a bosch computer in my jeep because my jeep is a mercedes masquerading with a jeep badge on it so it's all good right there is that and people will argue one way or the other but at the end of the day that is the common denominator all of the ecus were sourced from one manufacturer it's like the u.s it's AC Delco or whatever that's supplying the parts to these different manufacturers. Using a reference to GM yet again, our, our showcase this month, it's a shame. I feel like there's undue pressure on the diesel manufacturers. And I guess, like I said, Cummins is coming to the table with a solution that they've been toying with for like 20 years now, this agnostic engine, which can run multi-fuel. I still think the answer is a diesel electric hybrid. I think hybrids are the answer, not full EV. We're going to get more into EVs in a little bit here. Diesel's just getting such a bad rap. I just wish there was a better alternative at the moment. Yeah, and I don't understand why they're attacking the diesel consumer when they should be going after the big diesel vehicles. I think there's things that they should do. That's a very thoughtful statement there because I've been saying for years that we're getting punished. Like Tanya, she's got a 1.9 liter diesel. How much can she possibly be admitting compared to the 15 liter Volvo Kenworth Peterbilt that's next to her going, you know, down the highway all day long, belching black smoke. That was a good impression of the engine braking. Thank you. I mean, that's got to be like equivalent to 50 of your Volkswagen. There's just, there's no way, but they seem to be untouchable. You cannot touch the big rigs. You can't touch the ambulance. Because they move America. And if you didn't have them, what would happen? We'd go and move everything with the intricate train system that we have? Yes, yes. The the train system, if you can make efficient and clean burning trains, and then you run them to the different train stations, and then you use electric vehicles to get the shit off the trains and take them to their various destinations. Speaking of trains, just a tangent real quick, Germany has just inaugurated its first hydrogen train. Woo! All right. There's your alternative clean energy train. <laughs> Is it using a diesel lower end? Is it called the, the, the Hindenburg? No, it's called the Heidelberg. They call it the Heidelberg. It the Heisenberg? <laughs> <laughs> 
there's a lot of good ideas out there. I mean, I've heard things coming from some folks that we've interviewed and these episodes are going to come later where they're working on sparkless gasoline engines, which I jokingly said, well, isn't that just a diesel? And the designer said, yes, as a matter of fact, it is. It's a diesel that runs on gas. Again, the answer seems to be diesel without saying it, right? We need to find a new way to reconstruct that power plant in such a way that is socially, politically, and environmentally acceptable. The problem also is that it's low-hanging fruit to go after passenger vehicles, and it's probably much more difficult to do it on the larger scale that is a Peterbilt. And so that's why the focus is on one side versus the other. But you have the electric Tesla tractor trailer coming, right? Yeah, that's been coming for the last 10 years. It's, it's coming next year. Brad, how's that $100 working out for you? Uh, it has made me zero return. Any doge? Nope, I didn't get any doge for it. Well, there is some other Stellantis news out there that I found quite amusing. Since our showcase this month was GM, you know, we joked many times about all the different recalls for the C8 Corvette, issues with the brakes, the frunk was popping open, right? Brad, you talked about all sorts of stuff. Yep. Guess what? Ferrari is recalling pretty much every car they've ever made for the last 17 years. It's so silly. <laughs> Over what, Tanya? The brake reservoir cap. Mm-hmm. The brake fluid reservoir cap. People are in a panic over this. Let me tell you. Like, okay, yeah, cool. They used the same one for the last. Good for them. <laughs> it's a Fiat part <laughs> from a panda. Oh, no wonder it lasted that long. Apparently, it's missing like a breather hole or something like that, and it it causes issues in the master cylinder. But the way I looked at it, and the reason I found it amusing, is they're recalling all these cars that don't get driven anyway. So the likelihood <laughs> of this posing a problem to me was sort of just irrelevant how many of the cars that catch fire did they recall <laughs> shh, shh, those are only formula one cars shh, shh, shh. Mm-hmm. on the brighter side of dodge news we talked many months ago about the ceos coming down from on high and flicking on and off the lights and saying all right folks party's over it's time to go home take your challengers and your chargers anywhere you want but you can't stay here they have finally released outside of the spy videos and teasers we got six months or so ago, the new all-electric Dodge Charger Daytona SRT concept. What do we think? Well, I have a theory on Dodge Charger drivers uh, that I think I shared at another time. So I'm not really that excited to have more of these on the road. They drive like shit. Not that the car drives like shit, that the drivers drive them like asshats down the road. True. True. It's missing the big wang. I mean, it's okay. It looks very much like the current one, right? You can't tell there's a giant hood scoop on it, like hood vent thing. Yeah, I think that's really cool. That's a front spoiler. That is awesome. What are you talking about? Oh, that is? Okay. That's some Ferrari technology right there where the air pushes the hood down by going basically through where the grill used to be, creating that pressure center there. Okay. They did a really creative thing with the front grill by doing that. I think, why don't more car manufacturers that are making EVs that don't need a front grill, why don't they take more chances and do stuff like this? Because that looks really awesome. You are reading my mind, man. I like the fact that they took the current charger, they updated it, and then they added cool stuff like this and didn't make it look like a spaceship and call it a charger. 
Yeah, I'll give them that. No, the more I look at it, the more I want one. I think it's aggressive. I think it still brings that muscle car feel to the market, even though it's going to be an EV. And if I remember, the power numbers are pretty staggering. Well, yeah, of course. It's going to make like the equivalent of 9 million horsepower. And it's going to get like one mile of range because it's going to like burn rubber, use all the electrical power at once. And then you're going to be done because more power. Dodge. One mile of range is four pulls down the quarter mile. There you go. That's all it needs to do. The first official specification was makes more power than a Hellcat, full stop. Then if you continue to read the article, they're saying it's going to have an 800 volt electrical architecture. They've called this the Banshee, which I think is a weird throwback to the Pontiac days, again, going back to GM. But they're saying it's equivalent to 807 horsepower. And it'll be all-wheel drive, so you can actually put the power to the ground. So like I said, 9 million horsepower. But come on, four-wheel burnouts with no sound other than the tires screaming for mercy. Come on. You mean screaming like a banshee? Yes. Why does it have to be all-wheel drive? How the hell else is it going to put down that 900 horsepower? They have DRS on this. Did you notice? (laughs) They got the curves. When is Dodge entering into the Formula One arena? They have a push-to-pass button called the Power Shot, and it will give you a temporary power boost. So it's curves. I thought the Power Shot was something else. (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, hey, it is Dodge after all. I do want to see the race between this and the Taycan and the e-tron and some of the other ones. Like, you know, we're all tired of those Tesla shootouts against ice powered cars. That's over with, but I would love to see this go toe to toe, you know, maybe get it out on VIR and see how it does in a grand course hot lap type of situation. Stellantis, we have a driver for you. If you decide to do that. hundred percent. I want to know how much this car is going to cost actually, because I'm actually, I'm, really interested i'm gonna say looking at current trends looking at the price of other evs if they want to be competitive inflation everything else it's going to be a hundred thousand dollars yeah what are the chances it's a subscription model and you have to pay five dollars a month to get the other 200 horsepower over xyz so that's how the red key works it's like an extra subscription yeah you gotta you gotta subscribe i mean that's not bad it still leaves you with 600 but that's that's more than enough to get you into trouble yeah Well, we need to move on and talk about the rest of the domestics. Why? Yeah, right. That leaves us with Ford this month. And normally we would tell you, this is brought to you in part by AmericanMuscle.com, your number one source for Ford, GM, and Mopar parts. But we actually get to say farewell to American Muscle this month. They've been with us for a little bit over a year now. If you are interested in replacing them as a sponsor on the drive-thru, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. So thank you, American Muscle, for everything you've done over the last year. And if you are a Chevy, Ford, or Mopar enthusiast, be sure to check out their site. You know who will not be sponsoring us? Stellantis, because they're <laughs> shelling out millions of dollars to the U.S. government. To pay for the Jeep scandal. Yeah, yeah. To pay for the, the diesel scandal. So we were just talking about recalls. I hear there's another one at Ford. It's something minor, really. You know, on the scale of your car catching on fire to your brake fluid cap not having a breather pull in it, you know, the wheel could fall off. <laughs> the wheels on the 
<laughs> the wheels on the Ford go round and not anymore. Where, wait, where did the wheel on the Ford go? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's next to me. The wheels on the Ford fall off, 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 off. <laughs> so which vehicles are subject to this particular recall? Every Ford made since 2005. <laughs> That's next week's recall, but specifically the 21 F-Series Super Duty Ooh, those are big trucks for a wheel to fall off. I think if your wheel falls off those, you're in deep doo-doo. Because you're probably doing something really heavy duty, like hauling mulch. <laughs> with your dually 450. Pulling a utility trailer with a lawnmower on it. <laughs> you're towing a Miata to summit point, you know? <laughs> yeah, but you got your Harley Davidson in the bed. Ford's up to shenanigans. What shenanigans would those be? Well, you know, we all know that EVs are expensive and the federal government for quite a long time now has been providing consumers with a $7,500 tax credit if you buy an EV or a hybrid. There are some asterisks and disclaimers in that it needs to be an EV or a hybrid built in the United States. So some of the vehicles that are built in Japan and Korea and imported over don't count. But if it's a Toyota or a Volkswagen, you know, any of the big three built here, you can apply for that $7,500 credit after you buy the vehicle. However, Ford has said they are hiking EV prices by $8,500, which basically negates the tax credit altogether. So it's not just a Ford thing. Everybody is hiking their prices, citing inflation. It's costing us more to do this XYZ, blah, 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 and sell you this, blah, blah, blah. But then at the same time, everybody's having record sales and and record profits and and shit like that. It's funny how all that shit works. Yeah, I see it this way, supporting sales teams, where you lose volume, you make up for by increasing the price. So you kind of have to look at the relationship between the number of vehicles sold versus their price tag, you know, supply and demand, it's basic economics, right? And I think right now, people are keeping their cars longer. There's less cars being sold. There's also less cars being sold per brand because like I've said before, we have so many boutique manufacturers now. Think about it. Tesla was the newest kid on the block. It was always the same old Volkswagen and Toyota and Honda and GM and so on down the line. But now we have Tesla. And then you have Lucid and you have Rivian and you have all of these other companies that are cropping up and they're taking another slice out of the pie, which means Ford's volume numbers are going down. So to compensate for that, we need to raise the price because we're selling less and they have certain quotas that they need to meet. They're arbitrary. Uh, You know, God knows it's probably related to somebody's bonus or their paycheck or whatever. I get it. The factory workers, the people on the floor, they never see an ounce of this $8,500 per car that Ford is tacking onto the vehicles as they get purchased. Not to mention what we talked about earlier with that Corvette, where they're tacking on $90,000 over sticker. I mean, that's all dealer inflation and, and all that kind of craziness. Unfortunately, the trickle down economics doesn't work in the automotive industry in the way we would like it to. It's just a mess until somebody buys somebody out and then they merge and then volume goes back up again and prices will hopefully come down. But the reality is we never see the price of anything come down anymore but i think we're due for a course correction and you just said these other car manufacturers these other electrics are eating into ford's sales what's the best way for ford to to start making more sales let's increase the price that really works Uh that'll help yeah that'll bring the consumers in right away i want to pay fifty thousand dollars for that mercury sable wagon not five thousand (laughs) dollars next up i'll bring a trailer 
let the madness continue. Apparently, they are going to build a production version of an experimental car, of which only 30 are going to be built, of which the price tag, we thought this Corvette was steep. This thing is going to be $209,995. Whoa, what is it? Is it Ford GT? And you have to provide a donor car to even get this build. What? The GT500 Code Red, making 1,300 horsepower. It's a code nah for me, dog. <laughs> it's a code brown when this person's leaving cars and coffee, and then it's a code red after they murder people. I don't know what to think of this. So it's like Ford's doing its own singer thing now? Like, what is this It's exactly? basically not a street legal car, so it's like a drag car, but in a street street skin like we want it to look like a street car but it's not street legal but we want to go as fast as we can in a straight line and it's not ford that's selling it it's shelby so shelby american is putting this package together all right for was it 300 grand 200 grand whatever 209 209,000 plus the donor car which begs the question buy a fox body put an ls in it two massive turbos make 2,000 horsepower you're all in it for what half of that (laughs) at most right but it says you need a donor car it doesn't say what donor car so can i bring a kia rio and then you give me 1300 horsepower gt500 because that's i mean that's that's an even trade right there i just don't see it if you're gonna build a drag car there's plenty of f body chevys plenty of fox bodies plenty of just vegas like whatever like the classic shit boxes that you pick up and you turn into drag cars with massive amounts of horsepower mostly all powered by gm ls engines for 210 grand let's just round up you're gonna have a lot of money left over even if you build one yourself or buy somebody else's car but you're still forgetting the 80 grand you got to pay for the donor car so it's three hundred thousand dollars so forget it would you pay three hundred thousand dollars for a mustang no because that's essentially all it is no it's a high horsepower mustang no because you can't even drive this thing anywhere you can't even go to the cars and coffee and try to have vehicular manslaughter on your record Because it's not street legal. So what's it good for? What? It's not even street legal? Oh, my God. No. So what's it good for? And then, Brad, you're forgetting. Then you have to buy F450 Super Duty Dually where the wheels fall off to be (laughs) able to trailer this thing to the drag strip to run it for six seconds. How much is an F450? 100 something grand. And then you're going to buy a trailer. Yep. So So you're you're in it for like half a mil. (laughs) Yeah. At that point, you might as well buy that Lamborghini we were talking about earlier. You're in this whole setup for half a million dollars to run test and tune. Like those people that spend all that money on cars that they run at HPDE. This is our bad. This belonged in rich people things. (laughs) Well, speaking of other rich people things, Rivian. I don't know where that rendering came from because that's not exactly how they're advertising it. But yes, there is always going to be an SUV in their lineup, the R1S. This sort of looks like the Jeep Grand Cherokee had a baby with the Rivian. Why is the roof slanted so much? This has to be someone's rendering because it's not. The real one is square. Got it. Yeah, they it's, ruined, it's a box. They they messed this up. I haven't seen it offered in any package other than regular, which is very Land Rovery. Is it for sale right now, or is it still sort of being teased for pre-release? 
Uh, yeah, I don't think it's for sale. It is fully advertised on their website and everything. I believe the price, they list it at starting at 78 and the Darwin T, which is the pickup truck, starts at 73 So they're actually surprisingly priced very similarly. I spoke to someone recently who said they actually went for a ride in one of the new Rivian pickups. And I know we were talking about going to go test drive one and we probably still will here in the fall when we get the opportunity here in the DMV. They were out west and they told me that basically it's very, very small. It seems larger on the outside, but on the inside, it's quite cramped. They said they were sort of uncomfortable. And I said, so how small is it? Are we talking old Ford 150 small? Because people's definition of small varies. Or are we talking like GMC Jimmy S10 small, like old school Ranger small? And they said it's about the size of the Maverick. Obviously, you know, Ford and Rivian are in in bed together. Maybe there's some sharing going there. I don't know. But they said it's about that size, at least internally. So it's not the most comfortable pickup truck in the world. And because this particular person was used to a bigger pickup, like a Silverado F-150 of the current ones are like, yeah, this really isn't for me. Let's be real what it is, okay? It's not a pickup truck to go haul your mulch once a year. Yeah, you could put a bag in the back of this thing. But honestly, it's like someone who's a hipster or whatever, and they want a pickup truck, but they don't want a Ford pickup truck or a Chevy, whatever. And they do want something small, but they want it to look like a pickup truck. And that's what this is. You're going to go camping and you can throw your cooler in the back or something in a tent. But that's about it. What are you really doing with this? Nothing. That sounds negative. I like the way it looks very much, but in terms of like being this awesome utility vehicle, no. So yeah, if you're coming from a F-250, 500 million dually, triple cab, extended, Texas edition, yeah, I'm sure this thing is like driving a Kia, Rio. The looks are always just captivating. Like I can't stop looking at the Rivian. There's something about the front end. It's very animal-like and I haven't decided if those oval-shaped things are tusks or they're nostrils or or what they are, but there's kind of like a snake somehow. Yeah, know. or a hippo, I'm like not sure snake which. fangs. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Thing. It's cool, like, but it captivates you. Like, you keep looking at it. You keep looking at it. it. It's neat. It's different enough that it's unique and it doesn't look like everything else on the road. That's a bummer that it's small, though. Yeah. So, Brad, you might not fit. That's the punchline. Oh, well. <laughs> So switching gears, we want to talk about JDM News, which encompasses all the Asian brands, the Japanese, the Koreans, Chinese, and whatever else we can find out there. So, you know, we've made it a point this season to dive more into those vehicles. You know, we were really heavily slanted on the German cars for a long time. And I want to start out with a technical article I came across because I thought it was intriguing. We've had several episodes on this show talking about oil changes and services and testing and talking to different oil manufacturers and, and brands and whatnot. And there's a Toyota master technician out there that's arguing against oil change intervals that Toyota recommends for their engines after he broke down a Camry motor. I'm going to fast forward the whole thing because as soon as I started reading it, I put two and two together and the comments in the article do what I'm about to say justice. Basically, stop crying. It's one car. Plenty of people that are doing 10,000 mile oil changes that aren't burning a quart of oil every day, you know, or whatever it is. Unfortunately, 
as sophisticated as the cars have become, we have less and less gauges and we have less and less information in the vehicles. So if this particular Camry was running low oil pressure, it was already doing damage before the customer or the driver even knew that the damage was happening. So he probably blew the rings in the motor and that's uncommon for a Toyota or a Honda or any of these. They're pretty reliable, bulletproof motors. I'm not going to sit here and say 10,000 mile oil changes aren't a good thing, but I think you should probably get your oil tested. Like we talked about back in, I think it was season two with Blackstone Joe from Slick Talk about why those tests are important. If you have any doubt, you have any concerns, you're starting to see anything weird, get that oil tested and find out if you've got deposit, antifreeze or any sorts of other things that aren't supposed to be there at your next oil change and get ahead of it. That's not for everybody. That's for us, the enthusiasts. That's for us, the wrench turners and the DIYers to base this whole thing around one car. I want to see not a hundred. I don't want to see 10,000. I want to see a hundred thousand Camrys with the same problem, but to base this whole thing around one car, I think it's just stupid. Agreed. The next article should have Tanya super excited. So we're going to go test drive the Rivian in the fall. The Nissan 400s coming out in the fall officially, unless they kick the can on that again. But we've already talked about the Nissan 400 being not on our list. But you know what is still on Tanya's list that she can go drive in October? Fiat Panda. <gasps> Don't you dare tease me like that. <laughs> Her second favorite car that isn't the Yaris. The GR Corolla. Corolla. That's right. The GR Corolla is supposedly hitting our shores October the 22nd. I don't know why they gave such a specific date on that, but October of this year, we're going to be able to go out and test drive GR Corollas. So I'm excited about that. So Tanya. Correction. You're not going to be able to test drive one. Why not? Because the US dealers aren't going to let you. Oh. I guarantee you, you're not going to be able to test drive one. I bet you people couldn't test drive the new Supra when it came out. You think? Guaranteed. Unless you put a deposit down, you are not going to be able to test drive one. You may not even be able to sit in one. Screw that. Is that a not refundable deposit? Probably refundable because... Good dealers are a little bit better than the shady ass GM dealers. It's just a Corolla though. I don't see why they would hold you back from, don't they want to sell these cars? It's not just a Corolla. It's a GR Corolla. Exactly. Same with the Civic Type R. I guarantee you, you will not be able to walk into a dealership unless you have money to put down and say, I want you to test drive a new Civic Type R. They probably won't have one for you to test drive. The only one will be the one in their showroom. Because there'll be some sort of problem in shipping. It's 10 to 1, it's somebody else's car too. It's coming in October. One of the dealerships will have one at either, let's say in our area, the DC or Baltimore Auto Show, and we will get to sit in one. They'll have removed the shift knob and the wiper blades and the wheels and everything else, but we'll be able to see one and sit in one at one of the car shows for sure. You just won't be able to drive it. Our hopes and dreams are crushed. Thank you, Brad, for bringing that to our attention. What a poop. (laughs) You're welcome. But here's also where I've got my expectations set really high, and it's because Hyundai has come out of left field and shocked me with a vehicle that I didn't think that they could produce. Who is in charge of the art department in right? Hyundai? Uh, probably a guy from Alfa Romeo. Somebody from somewhere else. So what we're talking about here is the Hyundai N Vision 74 concept followed very closely with the RN22E. I think the new Hyundai GTV6 is a really cool car. (laughs) It's more DeLorean than the DeLorean is. I mean, this thing is epically cool. It's like retro wide body. Which one's which? 
So the N74 Vision is the two-door coupe that looks like a DeLorean, like an old-school DeLorean. The RN22E is basically a highly modified Sonata or Elantra or whatever. It's one of those type of sedans. I want whatever one. I already just forgot because I'm staring at it. The one that looks like the DeLorean. The Vision, yeah. It's got those same headlights as the Ionic 5. I mean, there's just, there's so many cool things about this car. The boxy flares that are so like retro, so 80s. Please, Hyundai, please make this car. Now, there's a video. Apparently, they've built one, and they built an RN22E as well, and they have them running side-by-side on a test track. Now, both of these vehicles are EVs, and you don't hear a whole lot. There's a lot of whining, kind of like the, the Mach-E 1400. I want them. Where are they? I don't get enough clips. It almost looked like it was like the Nürburgring track track, not the ring. It reminded me of the test track that Volkswagen owns in Germany that a lot of people use for testing with the high bank. It's like Elsa something or other. I mean, the car looks sick. It's amazing. It's They have to build this. Freaking gorgeous. I'm sure it'll be unobtainably priced. The sound aside, because it did sound like Knight Rider in the video. I mean, that's my first takeaway from the sound of the vehicle. But my gut reaction when I saw the pictures come across my desk and then the video came out a couple of days later, I haven't been blown away by a car like I have with this one in a long time. I literally said out loud to myself, F that Nissan, I need this car. And secondly, I thought this is the coolest DeLorean ever built in Korea. Much like I always say that the Veloster is the best GTI ever built in Korea. So if they're bringing a lot of that to the table, I'm really, really psyched to see this happen. We, you know, we talked about the Ionic 5. Have you guys seen the Kia equivalent to that on the road? They call it the EV6. I saw one the other day. I don't think I've seen that. I've seen it, but I don't think I've seen it on the road. It's sort of got a Maserati like fish look to it. It's not angular. It's very slippery. It almost kind of looks like that Mercedes we've been talking about that gets like 700 miles to a single charge. Are we talking about the same Kia EV6? I believe so. I saw that was the badge on the back of it when I saw it in traffic. Because it looks nothing like that concept Mercedes car. That's it. With that funky wraparound rear taillight and everything. It's sort of like a crossover, but it's not. Mm. It's lower than it looks in pictures. I think it's lower than the Ionic 5. It's quite wide. And so when I saw it in person from different angles and stuff, I was like, man, this thing is wicked. And I don't know if the guy was messing with me or whatever, but because I kept pulling up and backing off and, you know, I'm out there in my station wagon making noise and I wasn't trying to mess with him. I was just trying to get a good look at it. And then suddenly he just punches it. And I mean, the thing took off like a rocket ship. If it's sharing the same power plant as the Ionic, it's definitely got some get up and go. If it's a competitor to the ID4, I don't know. I think I would pick the Ionic first. I think the Ionic is too small to be a competitor for the ID4. No, apparently the wheelbase of it is as big as the ID4 or bigger. Really? It does not look it at all. It's 118 inches wheelbase. Wow, that's huge. It's a deceiving car. In photo, it looks so small. And I've seen multiple in person up close. And I'm always surprised. It's like weird. There's like this weird perception depth thing that happens. You see it next to other cars. and You're like, it's really tall. And you see it by yourself. It's like, it's really small. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And to go along with that, the Lamborghini that we mentioned earlier, I looked at the specs on that the wheelbase on that is 106 
And to put it in further perspective, the Mark IV Volkswagens that we're all very familiar with, those have a 98-inch wheelbase. And longer than that are Formula One cars. They're at 140 inches now. They're like freaking pickup trucks. So the ID4's wheelbase is 108 inches, 108.9, 109 inches, whatever. It's longer, even though I would say it's a smaller car. Right. It's deceiving. I'd have to see them side by side. The thing is so deceptive when you see it. Okay. So, so wheelbase aside, what's... To total overall length, because the wheelbase, I've seen them, the, the wheels are pushed pretty far out to the corners, but I don't think they are on the ID4. So overall length, I think, is what we should be focusing on. If it's 200 inches, right, then you cross into that Explorer territory. Ionique 5 is 183 inches long. The wow. ID4 is 181 inches long. So that's as big as my Jeep then. My Grand Cherokee is in the 180 inch. I think it, yeah, I think it's right around there. But there's no way. It's not as big as your car. This thing is like mind-blowingly deceptive yep. when you see it. Maybe it's the weird angles that are on it make it look smaller. Yeah, because I thought it was the size of like a mark five i thought it was going to be like the size of like a corolla hatchback or you know more traditionally a golf blah 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 but then i saw it in person i'm like this thing is taller than as i passed one on a road and i was like holy crap i'm looking up at this thing granted my car is lowered but still like seeing it past the roof lines of other cars just like wow you're taller than i thought it's just deceptive i still like it i do too and going back to the girl comment on the charger I like how they made that grill as well. They've sort of made a mini grill, but it's not really grill, but it's just like this black area where you could perceive a grill being on the car right. as opposed to like just this flat front face like a Tesla has. I like how they did that. It's still not as cool as the Envision 74 concept though. That is just sick. Take my money. So speaking of another high-end day, have you seen this Genesis X concept evolves into the elegant Speedium Coupe? I'm not sure I like the name. And when you first click in the article, all you see is the rear end of the car. And I'm like, wow, Hyundai, you're doing well here. But then, unfortunately, you scroll down and you get to the front of the car. And I'm kind of like, eh, eh. I'm not sure I like what they did with that triangle nose. Okay, I have questions. Digging the flares, the wide body look. Why do the lights go completely through the front fenders? Why is Hyundai trying to make a 928? I thought Hyundai was the best Aston Martin from Korea. Yeah, there's a lot going on with this car. Again, it's a very long two-door. I like the sloped rear end. Again, reminiscent true of the Aston of the 928, a bunch of other cars. The back is great. The side profile is great. Whatever they've done with the headlights going all the way down to the door on the side of the car is bizarre and needs to go away. They need to fix the headlights and then they need to fix this whatever triangle shape I guess the headlights also make. Yeah. Get rid of that. Put like the nose of the whatever thing, 74 on there. From the profile, it makes sense. It draws your eye across the car because it's so long and those doors are so humongous. The LEDs, as they wrap through the fender, it carries up into the C-pillar as it swoops up to the sloping rear end and brings your eye to the back end because the taillights also wrap around most of the way into the rear quarter panel. So I see how they use those lines to kind of 
bring it all together from the profile view from the front it is a bit shocking like i am still confused how this is even going to pass like dot with this sort of you know headlight configuration i got to give them props for pushing the envelope we're not seeing manufacturers putting stuff out like this right you're either getting more of the same you know the same old mercedes same old bmw and we're going to change the power plant which is fine or you get something just totally whimsical or wackadoodle that like doesn't make any sense at all so they're sort of pushing the boundary of design and i like it the thing that i really like about this car is that rear spoiler that little the ducktail yeah exactly it's cute i'll just say you know how this car passes dot flip up headlights <laughs> As a concept car, technically, even though they've given it a name, you know, obviously they would still have to probably change some things to be compliant with certain road rule regulations. A lot of these features and stuff will probably end up on other Genesis cars. I mean, they can put that rear end on another car. And to wrap out our long, practically could have showcased on Hyundai this month. (laughs) We should have. It would have been more entertaining than GM stuff. (laughs) So our second mini showcase of Hyundai cars, the... 2022 car and driver ev of the year has recently been announced and spoiler alert it is the ionic 5 hey congratulations congratulations. clap 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 the article has a almost an eight minute video that's pretty good they're showing a guy test driving it and detailing how they do the test drives and all that stuff kind of giving you the feel and the comfort and opinions this that and the other obviously it's not the longest range because it only gets 210 so in terms of range it's not in the top tier but basically it's scored on average of all features and considerations it's scored the best for comfort of ride and acceleration those kind of things for what it is and it only costs 41,000 versus something like a tesla or a lucid air ridiculousness right it's more reasonably priced how much does it cost 41 because as tested was 60 so it starts at 41 because i was just about to say how are we seeing so many of these cars around if they're so freaking expensive the prices of everything are going up there's some funny things about the ionics design like that cladding that's at the bottom of the doors i could live without that i wish there wasn't also that strike between the the rear door and the front door but i get why they're doing the angles the way they are but overall it's an attractive car those wheels are a throwback to an older genesis that i saw actually at one of the car shows years ago so i think those are pretty cool i think it suits the car i love the overall shape but the interior what an interior what a nice place to live it actually looks really really cool inside everything really comes together on this vehicle a very clean dash it's very nice yeah no ikea in there well some news coming out of honda we have been talking in preparation for le mans 2023 you can go back a couple episodes where we nerded out and le mans was our showcase the acura lmdh car is real The LMDH Type S, Acura number 93, they've released photos of it, and it is pretty wicked looking. Yeah, it does look nice. I'm a little confused about the vents above the lights in front of the front wheels. I don't know what those are exactly. I know there's the canards and diffusers there for the aero and whatnot over top of the tire, but I don't understand what's going on with the headlight section, but I still think it looks really, really cool. No, Yeah, I, I think it's a pretty killer looking race car. All right. So what else is in the random new EVs and concept cars that we need to talk about? 
interesting company, which I'm, I'm still trying to figure out who exactly they are, because when you look at them, it's like a Vietnam company that's headquartered in Singapore. But then I thought I saw something about they're manufactured in Ukraine or something, but VinFast. Okay. Yeah. We mentioned them on the last drive through episode. They are an electric car maker as well. And they offer a couple models essentially to the VF8 and the VF9. The VF8 is a midsize SUV and the nine is a full-size SUV. Midsize, the eight starts at $40,700 and the nine, the full-size SUV starts at $55,000. Now the interesting thing is aside from that feels like a very low number for something that gets almost 300 miles of range with an estimated quote 400 horsepower. Those are some pretty interesting numbers for that price. The interesting part is there's an asterisk and it says plus monthly battery subscription. What? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. So when you go to the monthly battery subscription, this is what it says. The VinFast battery subscription program is a truly innovative service model that makes premium electric vehicles more accessible to everyone. When customers purchase VinFast EVs, the battery cost is excluded from the vehicle purchase price. Customers only pay a monthly subscription fee based on the plan that suits their needs. Additionally, with a valid battery subscription, VinFast bears responsibility for battery repairs, maintenance, and replacement costs to provide customers with a worry-free experience for the life of the vehicle. I don't know how much that costs, but that is very interesting sounding. It's not $1. I doubt (laughs) it would be. For a brand that very few have heard of before... I got to say, it is reminiscent of other vehicles. There's some Mazda CX-9 kind of look to this thing. There's definitely a very Citroen front end on it. The back view, I think, is the best. It looks a lot like the ID4 and some other vehicles. But overall, when you put it all together, there's not a bad angle on this. It's a very unassuming car that you could park in a Walmart parking lot or a Target and people go, okay, yeah, they drive an SUV like everybody else. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because do you want something that's overly ostentatious that people are going, what the hell is a VinFast? Why would you ever drive that thing? Versus you kind of blend into traffic. It looks like they also unveiled a VF7 in LA not long ago. That's just another variant of the same formula here. Again, I don't find fault with this thing. I would love to see another boutique manufacturer come to the shores. Actually, they do list their plan prices if you scroll further down on their subscription page. So it's interesting. They offer a fixed plan, which it's basically unlimited mileage per month, $110 per month if you have the midsize SUV, $160 with the full size. If you don't drive that often, which, okay, maybe you live in the city, you can have the flexible plan and you only get 310 miles per month for $35 or $44. And then there's an additional like 11 cents or 15 cents per mile if you go above your so it's like a cell phone plan i was just about to say we're going back to the nokia cell phone days i can't come out tonight i, I i'm past my minutes i don't have enough i don't have enough miles on my on my prepaid <laughs> you, you, you can only drive nights and weekends you got the nights and weekends yeah. Oh, wow. yeah. yeah yeah i can only go out after nine o'clock and i have to be back before 7 a.m the next day there's so many people that won't know what that means <laughs> Yeah, it's cheaper to text than to talk, right? It's the same plan with the car. I think that's a weird model to follow. I was thinking you were going to say, okay, it's $100 a month. You're going to get 300 miles of range, but you want 400 miles of range. It'll unlock some software and you pay 125 a month. Not it's 300 miles 
total. No, it's what you can go. It's, it implies this because if it only can get 292 miles of range, it's not what you get on your charge. It's just your cumulative monthly mileage. That's nutty because you could kill that in one day driving somewhere. And then, then what do you do? You're stuck on the side of the road with your VinFast? No, because you'll just get charged 11 cents a mile that you go over, right? Because it's, it's got obviously it's got like a, a counter. It's the leasing model. So when you lease a car, you lease it for, I'm going to drive 10,000 miles a year or 12 or 15. And when you go over, then you have to pay the overage fee, which is like Tanya was saying, it's so many cents per mile or whatever. What I love about this, and I, I'm being sarcastic, is that you're buying a car and the most integral part of the vehicle, it's like buying an ice car and you don't own the engine. Right. You're leasing the engine. And then what happens if you go to sell that car or you don't make payments or like when you own the car free and clear, you're not making payments on it anymore. Are you still just leasing the batteries? It says the policy is automatically transferred to the new owner when the vehicle is sold. Mm, yeah, I believe I it when I see it. Yeah, well, it's okay because we're in denial about the chip shortage anyway. So I don't know how many of these are going to get built <laughs> in the near future. True. The because chips that we talked about months ago has not changed. There's still a shortage. I think the bigger problem too is as some of these larger EVs are coming to bear, let's use the Hummer as an example. I was reading something even the other day that for every one Hummer that they're building, they could build like five or six other regular EVs out of those vehicles. So there's that problem as well. There's only so many of these precious resources to go around. And now we're building cars that are fully dependent on them. And then all the microprocessors and everything else to go along with that. So building something like a Hummer really cuts into the production of other vehicles. And that's why you've got stuff sitting around that still can't be finished. There are two articles that I read on the drive kind of related to what you were just saying about how you, you can only build so many of these cars because of the resources and everything. Did you guys see that in California by the year 2035, they are no longer going to allow the sale or purchase of ICE cars. I, I had just seen that. Yeah, I did hear that too. No new gas-powered vehicles will be able to be sold in California as of 2035. Now, is that like new from dealer or used car? No, new from dealer. So used vehicles and stuff can still be kind of grandfathered in and everything. The carb restrictions are still going to be the carb restrictions. So you're going to be restricted on what you can bring in. I keep saying it and people will argue against me and that's fine. But I keep saying cars are going to become equestrian. And what I mean by that is it's the same thing as when cars replaced horses. EVs are replacing ice internal combustion engines in the same way that we did that. So I, I have joked before that we're going to be like the Amish. We're going to have our own lane to the side of the road. Look at those guys <laughs> over there with their gas powered cars. <laughs> it's going to be that the racetracks become our country clubs. And if you can afford to run an ice powered vehicle, then you will, but you'll do it in certain places, just like you do with horses, you know, except for the areas that allow it, you don't see people riding horses on the major roads, you know, things like that. So my gut says we're going to move in that direction in the next probably 20 years. It's going to be a while before we get there. To your point earlier about the precious metals and the lack of resources to be able to make this a full scale conversion from ice to electric. When the ice cars came out and started taking over from the horses and the more primitive modes of transportation, did they have the same types of limitations? And I mean, it looks like the EV 
conversion and the EV market itself is trying to fight an uphill battle because they don't have the resources to even do this on a small scale, let alone a large scale like they want to. There's a great series on History Channel if you go back and it's the cars that built the world. And they talk about Daimler-Benz before they got together and all that and how Benz especially didn't want to put his car out there. His wife did it. There's this whole story about how his wife jumped in the original Benz motor wagon and drove to her mother's house with the kids. And it was like 60 miles away and it took them, I forget how many hours or days or whatever it was. And part of the problem was that the fuel tank on the original Benz motor wagon was tiny. It was like a liter, but it could go X amount of distance on that leader. So it's kind of the same parallel that you're talking about with the EV. We only have so much range. Back then, they didn't have range anxiety because it was such new technology. And you see that with the early adopters. People are like, I don't care if it goes 50 miles. I got an electric car and I don't need to use gas. What was the turning point? And it's talked about in that docu-series, right? That mockumentary is that gasoline was a precious resource. It didn't exist in abundance, but there were other types of cleaners and other types of chemicals that were readily available that Benz's wife could pick up at like the local apothecary, throw it in the tank and keep going because the motor was primitive enough that it could run on anything that would basically combust. So at that point, it goes back to the questions that Tanya has brought up in the past about the battery technologies. Are we on the verge of coming up with a new way to create the electrolysis that happens inside of a battery? Does it have to be lithium? It's not going to be nickel metal hydride like we use in our rechargeable AA batteries because that's just, it doesn't work. I'm sure there's companies out there. I've heard things coming from like Panasonic, like they came up with a whole new way of doing batteries, but it's not available to the mass market yet. Maybe that Panasonic battery is gasoline where the lithium batteries are that concoction from the apothecary that we're using to get by until the next thing is coming. I don't think we've reached the Model T of EVs yet. I don't think that car has been built. I think it is yet to come and we're all kind of scrambling to get there just like it was in the early 1900s where we had all these boutique manufacturers. So then my point is, why is it acceptable for governments to mandate purchasing these vehicles if the technology hasn't really been flushed out yet at a scale for the mass market? And not to get on the political soapbox, I think it has to do with the fact that the nature of government has changed. If we go back 100 years, government was smaller. Yes, there was a lot of laws in place and things like that and the wars that had taken place and all that. But I think it's accelerated since the 1950s in in terms of how much is in the way it's called a bureaucratic red tape there's a lot more of that since post-World War II than there ever was before. So there's been a drastic shift in what we've allowed the government to control or where they've stepped in to put the oversight and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think that's going to change because it's just the way we are. We Just like everything else, cars keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger as they evolve. The government has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger as it's matured as well. And, and not only are cars getting bigger and bigger and bigger, they're also getting more expensive and more expensive and more expensive. 100%. And eventually there are poorer communities and poorer people out there that they're going to be priced out of owning a vehicle. They're the ones that are going to suffer the most. 
Yeah. There are already so many that are priced out of owning a vehicle today because with the average price of a, a brand new vehicle is like what, $35,000, $36,000? It's absurd. That's where the catch 22 is, is not to get political. We raised the minimum wage. Inflation has raised everything out of the reach of the new exactly. minimum wage, right? It's a vicious cycle. Yeah, but this is the same mm-hmm. argument as solar panels. Oh, solar panels are never going to do anything because the cost is just too prohibitive. Nobody can afford them. And then what have you seen in the last decade or 15 years, et cetera, is the price has come drastically down, right? So as things scale to market, as innovation occurs within that product, the price can come down. We're still at the forefront of this battery technology design. There's still innovation to be made, new ways of doing electric motors. There's a young man, Florida man, a young Florida man, 17 years old, just won some big award for his novel design of a new electric motor that uses no rare earth metals. If that can be scaled up, he has a benchtop model that he's done all himself in his garage, claims to be almost 40% more efficient, torquier, et cetera, than normal electric motors. This is the kind of stuff that needs to be allowed to happen. You can't just go snap my fingers. I have solved the battery issue and the electric motor issue. No, there's constantly going to be development. But it takes years before it can come to fruition. Right. And to my point, is this something that is going to be flushed out in the next 13 years? California is betting that yes. I don't disagree with you. It's absurd to be like, you have to be forced to buy this, that, and the other. But you know, you can also choose not to live in California. Let's be real. People who live in California have a certain way of life, certain quality, certain mindset. They're more environmentally conscious than any other state in the country. And so they care about emissions and stuff like that. So to them, to the vast majority of people that choose to live in California, they're probably okay with the idea of a switch to electric vehicles. Are you going to get Texas that's going to come out and say, by 2035, you can't buy an ICE engine? Hell no. There's also larger things at play too. I can't say for fact, but a lot of people have said that the electrical grid in the United States can't support it either. And we're deferring the pollution from the city centers back to the power plants. And in this country, we're not running on nuclear. No. It's different when you're in Canada or in France or something like that. Mm-hmm. We're running on coal, we're running on whatever. And so all we've done is displace one for the other. And if you're okay with it, that's fine. To your point, if you don't want to live in California, don't live in California. Now, this guy in Florida, you know, you immediately made me conjure the imagery of, you know, the potato powering the light bulb in the science fair project, you know, add some no. acid and, and go from there. All jokes aside. That's not what he did. <laughs> I want a potato power. Not, not at all. I mean, if you want to nerd out on the synchronous reluctance motor, not using magnets, steel rotors with air gaps, blah, 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 and all the stuff that he built, it's not potato. a potato with a, a light bulb in it. It's a potato. It's a potato. That's what it is. I, I don't disagree with anything that's being said. And I still stand by that. I don't know that it makes sense to be 100% like we're swinging the pendulum where there's going to go 100% EV. There's probably a happy medium where there's a mixture. And I would love to see the tractor trailers, the city buses, the school buses, the post trucks and all that kind of crap be electric and not sitting there smogging up the world. But unfortunately, who's going to pay for all that? Right. There's more no of them than there are of us. And why can't they lead by example instead of leading by dictation? And also, it's not just California, because there are several states that follow California's CARB guidelines and stuff like that. And it's theorized that as California makes this change, all these other states that follow their lead are going to follow suit rather quickly. To Tanya's point, well, don't live in California. 
a place you don't want to live. I'm transitioning to a different story now. You don't want to live in Australia because the Australian bank has said by 2025, they will no longer offer loans for gasoline or diesel cars. Wow, that's a bold move, Cotton. It's only for brand new vehicles, but they will no longer offer new auto loans for gasoline or diesel powered vehicles. That's all right. There'll be Chinese subprime loans for all that stuff that you can apply for. So it'll be all good. (laughs) Oh, yes. The joys of subprime lending. Speaking of litigious things in California and everything else, let's talk about how there's an alleged lawsuit against DeLorean by way of karma for an intellectual property infraction. That's some bad karma. Yeah, right? Yeah, that's some bad karma. Let me put it this way. Can we build a car with the name DeLorean without some sort of scandal attached to it? Apparently not. No, no. This is all part of the marketing for the DeLorean. I think it is too. This is already the second scandal. The first scandal was like the unknown child coming out of the woodworks. Oh yeah, that guy building those Reliant Robins and whatnot. (laughs) The short of the long on this story is that... At some point, the DeLorean Reimagined Company, which is different, I guess, than the Steve Wynn Mothership DeLorean Motor Company. So I didn't realize that either as I was digging into the story. The four heads of DeLorean Reimagined, as they're calling it, even though we all call it DeLorean for short, originally worked at Karma. And they left. There was an idea about a partnership between DeLorean and Karma. It fell apart. And then now the DeLorean was being debuted at Pebble Beach and all the things that we talked about over the last couple of months, somebody got upset and said, oh, because they worked here, they took intellectual property with them. And it's, you can see it. It's evident in the DeLorean. Okay, fine. Karma isn't doing that great. Let's be real as a brand. So I can see how they would be clawing away saying, well, our people defected and went to another company that is wrapped in the mystery and the mystique and the allure of the DeLorean name. And maybe it's going to take off. So maybe there's some jealousy, a little green eyed monster there. I don't know how much of this is real, how much it is fiction. And to Brad's point is a publicity stunt. Files have been filed and papers have been issued and we'll see how it all turns out for DeLorean at the end. Now, I will say from a social media perspective, it looks like the new DeLorean was pretty well received at Pebble Beach. The car that was on display was not silver. It was like a like a burnt orange sort of reddish color, which I thought was an interesting way to put it out there versus what I expected to see was what we saw in the pictures. So good on them. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully they sell some cars. So now it's time for Brad's favorite section, Lost and Found, where he is now looking for HHRs and not Dodge Darts. But there are some Dodges on your list. Yeah, so I'm kind of done looking for Darts right now as we look for the the HHRs. And I'm going to look for other obscure, terrible cars in the future. But we did find a Dodge Viper for sale. Oh, is it is it one of those leftover 2016 Vipers? No, it's even better. It's a 2002 <laughs> 2002. It's a Timio tool. No, it's a 2002 Dodge Viper RT10. Oh, one of my favorites. That's technically a Gen 2. Still that classic original Viper body style. What's special about this one? It comes in a classic Dodge Viper color too. Pepto-Bismol pink. It is the Barbie Viper. Oh my God, this is horrendous. How much is this going for? $63,000. Wow, you can keep it. (laughs) Well, here's an interesting question. Would you rather buy this or would you rather buy a Z06 with $90,000 dealer markup? Because you can buy this and paint it. 100%, yeah, exactly. That's what I'm thinking. I think I would buy the Viper. 
I really would. I might drive it around Pepto-Bismol Pink for a while. I mean, you kind of flaunt it a little bit, take it to a Cars and Coffee and watch everybody faint. True, when you drive up to the nail salon place, <laughs> get your, your mani-pedi and your hair done. Well, that is just sad. Pretty much all I got for you. Well, then I guess that means it's time for us to be not remiss. Oh, oh, we got Tesla news. We we had a blackout there for a while. We did, but we got a couple of interesting ones. Some of these almost borderline on like Florida man. <laughs> we'll keep them here under the Tesla thing. So the first one is about a, another Tesla vehicle fire. We've had quite a few. Of course, everyone will pound their fists on the table and say that a ice engine is much more likely to catch on fire, blah, blah, blah. And maybe that's true. I don't know. I haven't seen the data. But what's disturbing is I'm not really aware of many ice vehicles, if any, that three weeks after they've been in an accident and have been sitting in a junkyard burst into flames. Ooh, spontaneous combustion. Mm-hmm. And this isn't the first time this has happened either. This has happened several times. Well, and that's the scary thing. Fine, an ice engine. You're, there was one not too far away. There's some Ford F-150 parked on the side of the road. Hopefully the guy got out on time because there's nothing left of the front engine or the cockpit area. It's on fire. It was scorched, melted. How many wheels did it have? The back two. Losing its wheels was the least of its worries, apparently. <laughs> That's what called the engine fire. The wheel came yeah. off, knocked some uh, brake line out, and blue fluid splash on the hot engine. No, but that's kind of scary to me that there's been more than one reported incident where, oh, there was a tractor trailer filled with Teslas and it spontaneously combusted, or there was a Tesla parked in a parking garage and it spontaneously combusted. Uh, that sounds scarier to me than, yeah, I could be driving down my road and some sort of fuel line bursts and, yeah, I could have a fire in my car but usually my car that's been sitting all weekend in the garage doesn't just unless arson happened doesn't just combust i say luckily the intrepid junkyard workers were very uh, creative in how they managed to get it out because obviously it's not easy to to put out those kind of fires long story short they ended up digging a pit filling the pit with water and then lifting the tesla and like throwing it in the pit so they could just sit in a pool of water that's awesome and that was what finally quenched the fire because it kept reigniting and they finally got it out that way tesla was thirsty and it just needed to be quenched it needed its thirst quenched and there is like nothing left of it basically but to tesla's defense this isn't an issue that is known only for teslas sure because eric didn't you get some sort of notification that you are not supposed to park your car in your garage for a time period there because it could spontaneously combust yeah, the Pacifica had an issue, but it actually dealt with the regular battery and not the hybrid battery system. There was some connector that they were worried that was going to short out and cause a fire in the trunk because the actual regular 12-volt battery is in the trunk. That's mm. been taken care of. We took it in. It was like a five-minute fix. But yes, you're correct because I think the Chevy Volt or Bolt or something, one of those old... The Joel Cola, the Chevy Joel Cola. Had a recall of similar effect where it was like, park it outside. I don't remember what the culprit was, but yes... It's not right. Tesla, it's, but, right. it, but it is an EV and plug-in hybrid related. I think a Kia recall on the new Tellurides where they've just said, don't park them in your garage because they could catch on fire. 
So I said all that, and maybe ICE vehicles will also spontaneously catch on fire. <laughs> maybe garages are not for parking your vehicles anymore. No, but here's the other thing I see as a result of that. So the more of these events that happen, which are outside of our control, when do the homeowners insurance companies and underwriters step in and suddenly bombard all of us with increased rates on our homeowners insurance because our cars may or may not spontaneously burn our houses down? Oh, yeah. You know, they had that whole problem with flood insurance where people weren't getting flood insurance in flood zones and all the issues that happened with Katrina and all that. And, and everybody's rates went up nationwide. We just saw a nationwide insurance increase on just car insurance in general lately because the new cars are so expensive and we're all driving old cars. You hit a Tesla and it's $100,000. So I can see this trickling down to homeowners insurance and suddenly my rates are going up because somebody's Tesla burned their house down. Well, it'll probably be a question when you go to apply for the insurance and they, they ask you like 150 questions. What is the roof material of your house? What is the structure? What is the foundation? What kind of paint did you use? What toilet paper do you have in the bathroom? You know, blah, blah, blah. They'll probably be like, what kind of car do you drive? And do you plan to park it in the garage? <laughs> but that's okay because when you burn your house down, Tesla has a solution for you. They do. <laughs> and you know what? I wanted to be like, I call bullshit on this. I want to see Mr. Musk live in one of these $10,000 sustainable portable living homes. Portable. What the hell does that mean? It's a mobile home? Like, okay, like an RV? Well, let's call it what it is. It's a Tesla trailer park. That's what it is. I mean, and that's fine. No offense saying by living their best life in a trailer park or not their best life. Sorry. Fine. But like, what is this? And so, you know, I bit my words because then I watched the skim through this eight minute little video and apparently Musk has a tweet out there somewhere that says that his house only costs $50,000. How the hell does he have a house? Where Lies. does he live? Like SpaceX? That he rents from SpaceX or some shit? I'm like, what? I don't believe you as far as I can throw you. But maybe it's true. He tweeted it. Lies. <laughs> yeah, because because uh, everything you read on the internet is true. Well, everything he posts is true, right? That's why he's not in trouble with the SEC or anything like that. Never, right? never. <laughs> <laughs> this whole eight minute video is such bullshit too like you never see the home like i think for like, like 10 seconds out of eight minutes do you actually get to see this thing otherwise we're like flashing neighborhoods and wherever and the tesla factory and the cyber truck showed up at one point <laughs> <laughs> wait 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 wait! just dawned on me oh, so this was the eight minute cyber truck commercial if tesla vehicles are made from home depot parts what are tesla homes made out of <laughs> Maybe that's why you don't actually see the home in the video. And if you throw a rock at the window of the house, <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. I mean, I'm so confused. You're like 37 seconds into the video. And I'm, granted, I don't have the sound on. But like you see this neighborhood with these houses that must be like 4,000 square feet or some shit. I'm like, there's no way that this isn't the Tesla $10,000 home. Like, what are you smoking? What'd you do? Make it out of cardboard boxes? Like, I don't get it. Insane. Anyway, if you're interested in an affordable, sustainable living $10,000 home made by Tesla, I don't know. It doesn't exist. It's coming next year. <laughs> yeah, and next year he's going to raise the rate ten thousand bucks. Yeah, you can put your hundred dollar deposit down, yeah, and then yeah, yeah, it, it's going to cost ten thousand dollars now, and then it'll be two hundred and fifty thousand dollars next year. He'll raise it because of guess what, inflation. The next Florida man. Sorry, we're not a Florida man yet, but this one applies. So, and you know what? I also learned that apparently this is not the first time someone has done this. However, in the very recent of a few days, a Tesla owner 
implants his keys into his hand. Say what? Yes. So he has implanted some part of the key fob, infrared, RFD, whatever the heck, in his hand. There's even like a little picture that was someone surgically embedding something in between the pinky finger and the ring finger on his hand. This is like sci-fi total recall crap. And then you see him like putting his his hand up against the pillar on the car to unlock his car. No way. Because now he won't lose his keys. And apparently some lady did this several years ago just because she could. Because if people were telling her it wouldn't be possible and she's like, I'll prove you wrong. I don't know what to say. I don't understand. Like, no, no, you're not implanting anything. No, no, I'm not volunteering to have anything implanted in me. (laughs) Sorry. What what happens if his car keys spontaneously combust? (laughs) (laughs) What does he do? If his hand is on fire. Not only that, from the picture that they're showing, it looks like the raw circuit board going yes. in. Like, what happens when the moisture from your body... The blood caked on it? Right? Well, not only that, like they said in Star Trek, we're bags of mostly water, right? So this thing's going to be breaking down and corroding and, and all this kind of thing. What is that leaching into your body at the same time? So what happens? You bang your hand really hard against something. Yeah. You and crush your knuckle. And then like you break that thing inside you. Now what? Well, you're not going to drive your car. I hope you're still carrying a key with you, which defeats the purpose of having it in your hand. Can we just stop talking about this guy? This is absurd. We'll go back to California. Let's go back to those crazy people out in California. Those crazy people in California that we were getting upset about because they're trying to get rid of ice cars. But you know what? Props to California on this one. Their safety advocates are trying to finally, their motor vehicle association and everything have the full self-driving Tesla claim be put in the toilet. Whoa, whoa, are you rejoicing? Did you throw a party? That not that the most exciting news for you? It is, because I think that's the dumbest thing to call because it's not full self-driving. Stop calling it that. Stop making people think that they can go recline their seat and go to sleep on the highway at 70 miles an hour because my car is full self-driving. No, it's not. So yes, California is doing a good thing with this. Call it something else until it actually is. What Tesla fails to realize is that people are stupid and they're going to believe whatever you tell them. The thing I took away from this article is that California, the way they're forcing Tesla to change what you and I would call false advertising is basically saying that if the vehicle is fully autonomous, is fully self-driving, then they're not selling vehicles anymore. They're not selling cars to consumers. So basically, California is twisting their arm and saying, if you want to continue to sell motor vehicles, it's like a DMV versus Mm -hmm. Tesla situation that they need to be cars and not robots. So are you selling a robot or a car? Because the DMV is not in the business of titling and licensing robots, right? So it's like this really weird discussion, but I get it from their perspective. So they're really forcing Tesla's hand to say, knock it off with all this self-driving nonsense. This is like when I tried to sell my soul on ebay and <laughs> what yeah so I, I was in my 20s and really dumb and i was like oh this will be really cool i'll sell my soul on ebay mm-hmm. hey, wait, wait hold on hold on how much did you get for it and does it cover your losses for the cyber truck i got nothing for it because oh. ebay pulled my advertisement <laughs> it was pulled for one of two reasons one you cannot sell intangible objects on ebay and two if it is a tangible object you cannot sell body parts <laughs> 
That's awesome. So I was not allowed to sell my soul on eBay. And it's kind of like this. So basically, they just created an argument that suits their purposes. And then they're forcing Tesla to comply. So what I really want to know is if your soul is an intangible object that can't be sold on eBay, Dogecoin is an intangible currency that can only be traded in the ether of the interwebs. How much Dogecoin is your soul worth? Uh, I don't know. I haven't done the 2022 conversion rate yet. With inflation, don't forget to correct for inflation. My soul is worth quite a bit more to me now than it used to be. Ah, well, now that you've thoroughly lowered our expectations. Lowered expectations. I think we're going to round out with our final piece of Tesla news, right? Or Tesla adjacent news. Tesla adjacent news. So it's the boring company. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So the ones that are making the Hyperloop or whatever it's called. Tesla's in tunnels driving themselves in Nevada or whatever. Now is Tesla's being driven by somebody through a short tunnel at like 10 miles an hour. (laughs) It's the small world ride at Disney World. One at a time. Basically, he still reports that the whole infinite tunnel structure is the way of the future because the above ground highways, there's just too many limitations, this, that, and the other. Blah, blah, blah. You read this article. So I was reading it, yada, 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 you know. Blah. And then I got to the part, he said, underground tunnels are immune to surface weather condition. Subways are a good example. And I just full stop. I don't even think I continued the article. I was like, <laughs> go ask New York City if they agree with that. Because not too long ago, their subway underground immune tunnel got flooded. <laughs> This is the biggest scam on the planet. He has spent the last like five, 10 years selling people a hole in the ground. I mean, this is insane. The stuff that people will buy off on because Elon Musk puts his thumbprint on it is just beyond my understanding. Elon Musk is using Earth as his testing ground for all his great ideas that he's going to implement on Mars when he gets there. I agree with that. Everything he's trying to do here on earth is really just a concept it's proof of concept for what he plans to actually implement when he gets to mars does he plan to be like 150 million years old yep maybe his neural network weave mesh thing for the brain that he was working on he's gonna like use it to like become immortal that way he can get to mars that wasn't his brain mesh that was the hair implant regimen he was going through have you seen him from back in the paypal days come on i mean let's be serious he might already be an android he looks like lieutenant commander data from star trek is he a human what's going to happen is he is going to live to be that old but it's going to be like futurama somebody's going to have (laughs) his head in a glass He's going to be put on a shelf somewhere. He'll be like Krang from the Ninja Turtles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. We love to rag on the guy, but he's such a clown. He deserves it. Uh, What's next? Well, what's next is something we talked about last month that I can't believe they published yet another article about. It was literally a complete regurgitation. Mitsubishi makes a comeback with the Evo 11 and... Nobody cares. Moving on. All right. Literally, I don't even care enough to look at what it looks like. So moving on to rich people things, which we covered a few of them already, but put in one here specifically for a car I've never even heard of. Please tell me the Bugatti Baby 3 is coming out. Oh, man. Really? Oh, 
come on now i'm excited so there's something called the gma t.33 supercar yeah the, the gordon murray automobiles who gordon murray should i know yeah my bad who is he one of the former mclaren designers oh okay okay i don't remember people's names all right so former mclaren designers got his t.33 fully street legal supercar and he already has the t.50 out I mean, interesting looking car. I mean, it looks like any other supercar, really. But apparently the production is going to be limited to no more than 100 of these cars. And if the $2.5 million price tag on the T50 is a little too steep, then maybe you could go for the $1.9 million T33. I'm sorry, they actually already sold out, so you can't even get one. Wah, wah. Where are people getting all this money? It's like a couple of the Saudi princes, celebrities, and Steve Coogan, who buys anything penned by Gordon Murray. It's no normal person. How do I become a Saudi prince? Yeah, I think you're a little too tall and blonde. <laughs> they don't like tall blondes? Not your kind of blonde. I'm not going to speak for them, but I think you'd stand out. That's all I'm saying. Speaking of things that stand out, it's time for us to go to the great state. Florida. Florida man. He stands out. That's for sure. Florida man. Florida man. What you got for us? Coming in, joyriding on construction equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Just for no good reason? He was a homeless man. That's sad. He steals some construction equipment, goes on a joyride, quote, leaves a path of destruction. Path of destruction. You got to read it right. Leaves path of destruction, police say. $10,000 worth of destruction. That's a lot for a homeless man to pay for. I don't think he'll be able to pay for it. He took a rather moderately sized piece of construction equipment and was just driving down sidewalks. Looks like he busted it open a fire hydrant when he hit it. All sorts of crazy stuff. Do they just leave construction equipment strewn about in Florida with the keys in it? Or is this a pretty ingenious homeless guy, you know, hot wiring the bobcat? I don't know. I think we've had other stories of construction equipment that's gone on joy rides before. So it must be a Florida thing. You know the fix for all this is they need to have the construction equipment keys embedded into their hands. Oh, there you go. There That'll you go. That'll prevent them from being stolen again. You make another valid point. Problem solving tonight. That is why I am here. Another Florida man. Took another piece of construction equipment. Another piece? No. He was arrested on DUI, so please don't operate machinery and drive under the influence, okay? But this person decided to drive a scooter into Walmart. (laughs) (laughs) So you know it ended well. Was it gas-powered, electric, or foot? I want to say that it was probably a powered scooter. It says in the article it was powder. Motorized. It says it's a motorized scooter. Motorized scooter. But they do say the man was driving a Walmart scooter and had his open backpack sitting in the scooter basket. I didn't see that it was a Walmart scooter. So it was one of those Walmart shopping carts. Oh, I got... Oh. They're the mobile challenged people. It gets better. In his backpack in the front scooter basket was an open bottle of Smirnoff vodka. (laughs) You could see it. So he was drinking the good stuff and he had glassy eyes, quote unquote. 
So is this on par with the lady that rode her suitcase through the airport? I mean, it's up there, right? He crashed into the store shelves. <laughs> get his backpack in the in the basket on the scooter. Did he do more damage in the Walmart than the homeless guy did with the construction? It's a great question. They do not say the damage he caused. So wait, those scoot around things, what do they do? Like two miles an hour? Like how much carnage could this guy have created inside the Walmart? Probably just knocking stuff off shelves, everything strewn around. Crashing into shelves is a bit dramatic. It was probably bumping into shelves. <laughs> Scraping into shelves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Trading paint with the shelves. <laughs> I really enjoyed the title of this Jalopnik article, which does not need any explanation other than the title itself. Nothing of value lost as a Bud Light truck overturns on a Kentucky highway. (laughs) (laughs) The picture is epic. I mean, there's just Bud Light cans everywhere. The title got me and I chuckled and that's all you need to know. Nothing of value lost. It would have been hilarious if there would have just been like mad swarm of people like running out to like collect it. I know it's not a fan favorite, but there are people that love it. So it would have been hilarious. You see like people in the photo scouring to grab up the cans. The people that love it don't listen to our show. Only Jaeger here. Meanwhile, in the Czech Republic. But wait, what? At first, I was like, "This is so dumb," and then I watched the video, and I was like, "This is sort of badass." <laughs> I think it's super awesome. We don't talk about the Czech Republic. Can you find it on a map? What's the best-selling car in the Czech Republic? An F2 car. Oh, what? What? Apparently, a GP2 former Delara Formula One car. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, what happened? Apparently he has one, and apparently he takes it onto the highway and cruises at at the speed limit, not doing anything crazy, and somebody was videoing him. He did do a pull. Well, he did a pull when when the CHR got out of his way, but the person videoing him was keeping up, so what were they driving? Another GP2 Formula car, apparently. The car sounds amazing. It It does. It looks amazing. Oh my God, this guy's living his best life. And I I want to be him. Sort of like the Cart Vader videos that came out a while back, if anybody remembers. I think they're on E-Bombs World, where that French guy goes out in the middle of the night with his shifter cart and starts driving through Paris and, you know, blasting people down the highway at 100 miles an hour. We always say that cars are meant to be driven. Thumbs up to this guy, right? Granted, take it to the racetrack. Nah, dude, take it to the the Walmart. (laughs) It sounded like this is not necessarily the first time he's done this either, or at least there's somebody else who has done this as well. Yeah, I want to know why there are so many of these decommissioned formula cars. Just how do we out get them? In the wild. Yes, how do, how do we get them? I like the last line of the article, though. It may be the only time you ever see an open wheel race car and a second generation new beetle in the same place. <laughs> and then I had to go back and look at the photo. I was like, damn, you're right, son. There is a beetle there. That's awesome. (laughs) This last one is amazing. And I saved it to the end. And the title says it all. Woman used Wicca Book of Spells to set car on fire. (laughs) 
This was in Pennsylvania, not Florida. The Wicked Book of Spells is just what she called her battery. I was going to say, if it was an EV, was it really mind control powers of magic or did it just spontaneously combust? Apparently, this distraught, probably drugged out woman went to a car dealership to confront a gentleman who she may had previous relationship with. There was a shotgun involved, but you know, why use a shotgun when you could use Wicca spells? So... She, I guess, attempted to use the spells to set one of the cars in the lot on fire, but obviously that didn't work. Spoiler alert, people. No offense to anyone. Live your best life. Then she literally lit the pages on fire and threw it in the Ford Focus and set the interior on fire. (laughs) That's one way to do it. So wait, 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 wait. I get it now. She used the lit Wicca book of spells to set the car on fire. The literal book. It's not not because the incantations didn't work. It wasn't for not trying. Okay. I think the article title is amazing. <laughs> so we can say the spell book actually worked. Yes, technically, that would be accurate. <laughs> oh, that's genius. <laughs> oh my god. Well, on that note, it's time to go behind the pit wall and talk about motorsports news. So first up, let's stick with Florida, man. That's so much fun. (laughs) We could do some Florida, man, here. Southeast racing NASCAR. Actually, there's been a video put out recently, and we have a link to it, that shows the evolution of stock car to the current NASCAR racing series. Seven generations of NASCAR explained. Even if you're a NASCAR fan or you're just getting to know that discipline of motorsport, I thought it was a really good watch because it brings you right up to speed on how it's transitioned. You know, you can go back and watch things like Lost Speedways that Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s got on Peacock, but I thought this was a good way to summarize all this and give people an introduction to NASCAR and show them the evolution. My goodness, it's going on 60 years now of NASCAR, if not more. So I thought this was a really good wrap up for anybody who's interested in diving a little bit deeper into the history of the sport. But without further ado, I need to turn to my subject matter experts in the worlds of open car racing, especially Formula One. Let's talk about what happened in August. Nothing, because it basically been a holiday. <laughs> well, there's one thing we can talk about. What's that? Daniel Ricciardo is losing his racing seat for next year. Oh, are you sad? I, I'm a little sad. He hasn't really done much. He's fell pretty hard from grace after leaving Red Bull. And he's had a string of really bad and unlucky years. I don't know what is next for him, but apparently McLaren is buying out the rest of his contract. And it's a sad day for you as a Danny Rick fan. Yep. So we will see if he ends up racing. Maybe we'll see him over in SRO somewhere. Well, he may go wherever Vettel's going. Vettel's retiring. He's going biking and all the stuff that Vettel does. Buying old formula cars like Nigel Mansell's, right? Yeah. So that's two drivers out. Vettel's out. Danny Rick's out. Well, there was drama around Fernando just out of the blue announced that he was leaving his race seat and jumping. Who did he jump over to? Aston Martin. Joke there being that, you know, Stroll's daddy bought him his seat and then Vettel retires. He thinks he's going to be the number one driver and all of a sudden Fernando's in the seat. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of shuffling going around. There was a lot of drama around this Piastri guy and 
Alpine made an announcement that he was going to take the seat. And then two seconds later, he's like, I never said that, and blah, blah, blah. So who knows? Yeah, but now Piastri is actually going to McLaren. I stopped following after the initial drama. <laughs> never mind. McLaren hopes to replace Ricardo with reigning Formula 2 champion Piastri. Piastri has been in the middle of a tug of war between Alpine and McLaren, and his future will be decided by the FIA's contract recognition board next week. Because I guess he maybe had a verbal commitment to Alpine. Nothing was really set in stone and then he really wants to go to mclaren instead of alpine i don't know yeah it's all fodder for drive to survive so what isn't fodder is what we alluded to earlier about all the porsche stuff we're not sure if it's going to be a honda powered porsche or whatnot but the fia has approved the wording for the new regs when the new cars come out in 2026 basically the bluff the bottom line up front is that the mguh the power plant that volkswagen was going to supply has been dropped and the FIA is pushing for what they're saying is, quote, fully sustainable fuels. The MGUH was supposed to be Volkswagen, Porsche, Audi's way into Formula One. Obviously, they're still coming, as we noted earlier. What I think is happening is, you know, these, quote unquote, fully sustainable fuels might be a nod to Porsche's synthetic fuel that they've been developing. And so maybe there's something going on there. That's complete speculation. That's just my opinion. Why we would do such a drastic shift from replacing the engines to going back to let's find a different fuel source and keep the ice motors in Formula One. I thought that was interesting, but we're not going to see what that turns into for a couple more years. Apparently, the next Call of Duty update is going to have one of the zones be the Singapore Grand Prix track as a battlefield. And so you'll be fighting across the streets while Formula One cars are driving around. Uh, why? I don't know why, actually. I didn't look into it because I didn't care. But I, my question is, can you shoot the Formula One cars? So does that secure a win for Haas if you blow up everybody else? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of hossholes, there was a video that is going around that has led me to the conclusion that I don't need to watch Drive to Survive. I just need to watch more of these mid-season recaps by this YouTuber. This is the funniest stuff I have ever seen. It's like a one-man video, but he plays the role of all the different drivers and their affects and their accents and some of the team owners like Christian Horner and, and all those guys. I mean, it was unbelievably funny. I bought busted out laughing when he's making fun of the Ferraris and he's like my car is on fire my car is on fire and like all of this stuff and then the whole Gene Haas thing no he's hilarious I think he usually puts out a video after every race yeah unbelievable this is the first stuff. time I've seen this and it was just I was in tears it was so good we're gonna post that in the show notes for anybody who doesn't know what the heck I'm talking about I don't want to spoil it you definitely got to check it out and you can search for him on YouTube Connor Moore and I believe he does more impressions than just F1 racers too so he's got some other different kind of videos out there switching to the world of sports car racing two big announcements IMSA has announced the new Sports Car Challenge series, which is going to be part of the larger IMSA weekends. They're going to feature LMP3 as well as GT4 cars, which are licensed through SRO, the cousin or sister organization there, or I should say that other series. As we know, IMSA and SRO do go back and forth. GT4 cars are coming to the IMSA big stage. So there's big news on that. I'm really excited to see the Supras and a lot of the other cars that are in GT4 
before coming to IMSA and, and running with everybody else. On the heels of that, IMSA also announced early the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship schedule for 2023, and they've added some new tracks to the list. Places like Mosport is back on the IMSA series. We haven't seen that in forever, like feels like the Can-Am days. So there's going to be 11 races next year on the IMSA calendar. Really excited about that. So there should be some really cool racing action there. And actually one more piece of news, since Formula One is going to be in the next Call of Duty, IMSA is partnering with iRacing for their own esports season. SRO partners with the Seto Corsa and IMSA partnering with iRacing. If you're a fan of either or both, I don't know what it's going to be like to get into the IMSA esports series, but I'm looking forward to some excellent live streaming and having the voice of IMSA commentating those races. As we wrap up the episode, we want to touch on our local news. Upcoming local news and events brought to us by CollectorCarGuide.net, the ultimate reference for car enthusiasts. We've got an important update. Collector Car Guide is now listing and promoting car, vehicle, and collection auctions on their site. So if you're looking for that latest piece to add to your garage, office, or den, check out the auctions listed on Collector Car Guide. And don't forget, you can post your events on CCG for free today. Details are on the site. So let's see what's coming up for September. The biggest and most anticipated VAG event of the year is happening in September. Jamie Orr's Low Show will be held on September 1st through the 4th in Pottstown, Pennsylvania. This year makes the 12th annual Downtown Charlestown Car Show. The Radnor Hunt Concourse at Legance is being held on 9-11 in Malvern, Pennsylvania. Dubs at the Gap, sponsored by Audi Club Potomac Chesapeake Regions, return to Rocky Gap State Park on September 17th and 18th. And as we mentioned, CCG has started listing auction events on their site, and there are all sorts heading into the fall months, like the Auburn Auction on September 1st through September 3rd. And tons more events like this, and all their details are available over at CollectorCarGuy.net. Thanks, Brad. Now it's time for our HPDEJunkie.com trackside report. What used to be the Northeast Quattro region, or the Northeast Audi Club, is coming to NJMP in October. It's going to be a Monday-Tuesday event, October 3rd and 4th. It's two days on Thunderbolt. They posted that in their most recent newsletter, and turns out a few of us, myself included, might be going. So I am definitely looking forward to two full days on Thunderbolt. And can I just say that that's pretty rare, because usually it's two days on Lightning. It's hard to get two days on Thunderbolt, so that's a really good event for people to go to it is and price wise it's a really good deal it's a full event so students and coaches all the run groups in between so if you're looking to take and have the ability to take some time off from work it's going to be a good time at njmp and thunderbolt in my opinion is the more fun track everybody says lightning is better but i don't agree so (laughs) but i like technical (laughs) tracks I want to shout out again to GTMer Steve Furman, who now heads up HOD Southeast region. He's got two events left on the 2022 schedule. He's got Carolina Motorsports Park on September the 17th and 18th, as well as Roebling Road on October the 2nd. So if you're itching to get out to the track this fall and you live in the Southeast, try out HOD's Southeast region headed up by Steve Furman. And we wish him the best of luck going into the 2023 season as well and look for more events to be added to the schedule. Unfortunately, in the month of August, EMRA had to cancel its two-day Summit Point Shenandoah Circuit event. There was a bunch of different reasons, one of them being some folks came down with COVID and made us extremely short-staffed, so it got pushed off. And if you hadn't heard, the September New York Safety 
track event was also canceled and replaced by a one day at Pocono North on September the 17th. The last Emra event of the season will be on October 15th at Lime Rock Park. So look for GTMers at both of those events coming up here in the fall. In addition to that, PCA Potomac Region is in need of volunteers for their Rock the Summit charity event at Summit Point Motorsports Park on September the 16th through the 18th. So if you've got some extra time and you want to help out at Summit Point, please consider signing up and you can find all those details on PCAPotomac.org. In case you missed out, check out the other podcast episodes that aired this month. Andy Pilgrim, racer, journalist, educator, and all-around nice guy. We reconnected with Andy after several years of being away from NCM, and he shares his epic motorsports journey with us. In Confessions of a DeLorean Owner, Don Weberg from GSM returns to Break Fix to tell us what it's really like to be a DeLorean owner. A 26,000-mile ride took SRO driver Joey Jordan IV on an epic adventure with his Van Flacco, filled with stories of man versus machine, love, hate, and even some South American jail time. Be sure to tune in for Joey and Flacco's excellent South American adventure. Bill and Vicky Fisher, superheroes of the grassroots motorsports world, train us on all things in the podcast Garage Heroes in Training, and we return the favor in a Boomerang episode as guests on their show in this double crossover episode. Did you know that we were invited to be on the granddaddy of all automotive podcasts? That's right. The GTM team was featured on Mark Green's Cars Yeah. Part one is available now wherever you listen to Cars Yeah. Meanwhile, Mark has agreed to return later this fall to be a guest on Break Fix and tell his story. More details on that to come. Thank you to all the guests that came on the show this month. August kicks off the second half of season three, and we have some really exciting episodes lined up for you. If you'd like to get in contact with us, express your opinions, suggest show ideas, or ask our guests more in-depth questions, be sure to join our Break Fix podcast group on Facebook. Thanks, Tanya. I want to give a quick shout out to some new Patreon patrons and supporters for the month of August. Shout out to Jim Wydilla from the Volo Museum for kicking into our Patreon. He was featured on the show last month month, as many of our listeners might recall, and to Mountain Region member Nicholas Matthews for signing up as well. Remember, folks, every little bit helps, and we very much appreciate all of your support. We have a couple anniversaries this month. Rob Lors is celebrating eight years with GTM, and Lauren Thompson from the Mountain Region is celebrating two years. So congratulations, guys, for sticking with us. We appreciate it. That's right. And remember, folks, for everything that we talked about on this episode and more, be sure to check out the follow-on article and show notes available at gtmotorsports.org. As you all can tell, there are no guest hosts this month, but I will not be here for the drive-through number 26 in September. So if anyone is interested in filling my spot next month, please reach out to us at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org or hit us up on our new Facebook group so you can jump on and be part of the show. We really appreciate who whomever decides to get on here and fill my size 13 shoes. And of course, our co-host and executive producer, Tanya, thanks. And all the members who support GTM without you, and none of this would be possible. Otro. <laughs> Otro. Good job, team. Good job. We fumbled through another one. <laughs> Cars in back of us, all just waiting to order. There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sun behind me. I lean out the window and scream, Hey, what you trying to do? Blind me. My wife says maybe we should talk.
If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.